All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. What is your husband really thinking when he says nothing? The answer to that is probably nothing. But when your wife says it, you're probably in trouble. See, today we're going to be talking about all of the various things that you've probably wanted to ask your spouse, but we're either too afraid to, we're worried you might not get a good answer, might get in trouble for, but you're you're actually wondering like what what do these things really mean? And just like last week when we talked about all the things that you should ask before you get married, what we're going to talk about today is a little bit more of what does it mean to be a good husband or wife during the different phases of marriage. So we're going to talk about like the newlywed phase and when all of a sudden babies and toddlers are running around the house and then teenagers who know everything despite the fact that they've done nothing. And then we're going to talk a little bit too about that final phase of kids leaving and you're back to just you two again. So all of that and more coming up in this episode and we really need your questions throughout this to make this work. All right, let's get to it. I am looking forward to hearing what everyone has to say about today's episode and this topic in our community chat after the episode is live, as well as the comments and questions that we get during the live stream. So thank you for joining us on this episode. If you haven't already, go to the link in the description, join our community chat there. We have a great time. We've gotten to know so many good people. We look forward to seeing you there and let's get into today's episode. All right, I am your host, Nick Freitas. I'm a, my voice is a little raspy today. Uh, apologize for that. I'm, I don't know what's going on. But I'm a member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, I'm a good guy. And most importantly for this episode, been married for 24 years, same lady, and uh, three kiddos. And uh, with me is my beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees. Well, hello, everybody. And then we have our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hi, I'm Christian. I've not been married for 24 years. <laughs> Wow. We're going to start calling him Eeyore. He's married to his 150 tabs up on his, yeah. <laughs> his computer screen. And then, of course, Nicholas Hamilton, producer of producers, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Let's get right into it, Nick. And don't forget, ladies, Hamilton and Christian, they are single. All right. So let's go in and start with the, uh, the, the first thing. So if you watched the last episode, you realize that we talked to, we, we did a lot of the ground with respect to what are the sort of things that you should talk about before you get married, the sort of questions that you ask to make sure that you have similar worldviews, that you want to go in similar directions. And then one of the most important things that we answered in that episode, you know, at the end was, how do you know they're the one? And our answer to that one was when you marry them, right? Now there's all kinds of indicators before you get married that they're the one, but once you marry them, they're the one till death do us part. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, okay, so what does it mean to actually try to make it work? Not try to actually make it work through all these different phases. And the first one we're going to talk about is newlywed phase, which is an awesome phase. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. Um, we're going to see how uncomfortable we can make Christian during this episode. These poor guys, honey. <laughs> 
Is there a way for me to like mute the audio um, <laughs> coming from Nick now? It's it, it'll be fine. I mean, this is a it, it's an important topic, even if you're not currently married, because I think most of our audience members, I mean, including myself and Hamilton, are certainly interested in, in being married at some point. Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes and that we will be talking about again when we get back to the traditional political topics yeah. has a lot of it is is in some ways either directly or indirectly related to this type of stuff. I mean, how many, how often have we talked about something related to like economics? Yeah, and it's like, oh, it all traces itself back to like the disintegration of the family unit. Yeah, no, there, there's so. no, there's no, there's no question here that if you look at so many of the problems that we actually face politically in this country, I I would argue that it is you can draw a straight line. For, for much of it, back to the disintegration of the family, um, the government attempting to replace a father with a government program, um, and then various cultural pressures on, on women where they're expected to kind of be all things to all people. And, and really, th there was, um, oh gosh, I forget who was talking about it, but it was, it was really interesting because it came from a source I didn't expect. It was a Hollywood actress. And she was saying, I don't understand why we're encouraging you know, masculinity in women and femininity in men because it doesn't seem to make anybody happy. I think um, I said something similar to that in the previous episode, yeah. that the biggest problem we have is that we've raised a generation of men to be effeminate and a generation of women to be masculine, and yeah. the results have been disastrous. Yeah, everyone's unhappy. So, when you, so you've decided to get married. You get married. Now you're first married. And I'm, I'm going to use Tina and I as, as an example. When we first got married, I was 19. She was 20. Thanks, babe. I like older women. Yeah. <laughs> but we, um, we like literally got married, and then the very next day, I had to get on a plane, fly back to the 82nd Airborne. So I had to fly back to Fort Bragg. Uh, we got married in uh, Northern California. And then a couple weeks later, you and my mom okay. packed up everything we so owned in the Nick pickup is, truck. Nick is misremembering this. So we got married. All right. Yeah. The very next day I take him to the airport. Yeah, I got the that day right. after that, his mom and I pack up a truck and drive it across the country. I had my honeymoon with my mother-in-law. That's not weird at all. On the highway. <laughs> yeah. With the U-Haul. Yeah. No, oh, no, it wasn't a No, we, we just, we loaded stuff up in the back of the truck. And like, it's a just a good thing that I completely and absolutely love your mom yeah. and that she's an amazing human being. Because we, I mean, we were just trucking it across the country, us two girls yeah. having a good old time. But yeah, that would have been our honeymoon if you would have stayed. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's kind of the. Uh, <laughs> but that's well, military life. So. so, so the reason that you're bringing this up, I'm assuming, is to tell people don't start off like that. Or? No, actually, well, I mean, we didn't we didn't have any choice because in the, in the military you had block leave, right? So yeah. I could either the next time I would have leave to come home and get married would have been at a minimum probably Christmas. We got married in May. Can I ask a question about Christmas? that? Christmas, like like what was I'm assuming? Obviously, that was like intentional. Like when you chose to get married. And you chose to get married in this time, despite knowing that like the day you said literally the day after that you had to leave. Okay. So the, at the 82nd airborne, they had some, they had DRF statuses yeah. and you had block leave and block leave was when they decided block leave was. So you, we could have either gotten married then, or we could have gotten married six months from then. And no matter which way it went, it would have turned out the same way because he had to be back by a certain day. You get like two weeks leave. And yeah, and uh, it was, and he needed to help put everything together for the wedding. So he had to front in some of that, that leave. Yeah. Okay, so last follow-up question to this particular thing. I'm assuming, because I, I, 
the first thing that came to my mind and that I know is going to be incorrect, but the first thing that came to my mind was, well, then why didn't you just wait six months or a year? Oh, there's so, no way. So, so we, oh, because if we waited six months or a year, it would have turned out exactly the same way. It was the same amount of time, no matter, no when, matter what, like no matter what going to be, uh, it's because of, it was because of the way that, um, the 82nd airborne set up their leave schedule. Okay. Well, that, and, that, and what you got to remember too, when we first got married, like if you look at our marriage photos, right, I got my dress blues cause I wanted to marry in dress blues. I'm an E2. Yeah, for those of you who don't know what that means, it means I make no money, right? So when when we when we first move into our, our first, and this is another thing too, I would say during the newlywed phase, um, you know, obviously having your financial stuff together and stuff like that is always helpful. But I honestly believe, like I am, I'm very grateful for the fact that when Tina and I first got married, we had zero dollars, like $1,200 a month. We lived in a little 500 square foot um, apartment. It was, it was kind of, it was a little trashy. Um, and, and like, we really couldn't do it. Yeah, we anything. called it, we lived in Lake in the Pines. Yeah. And we called it Lake in the Crimes. Yeah. It was not a nice yeah. place. But, but the one thing that, the one thing that I think was good for, for newlyweds is, is kind of going through that thing where you don't have a lot of money to spend. Um, and I'm not saying we were great. I mean, we, we had, we had a credit card and we put a little bit, you know, too much on it, but nothing like horribly debilitating or anything like that. We learned some lessons. Um, but it was one of those things where you had an opportunity when that first year of marriage, especially, I mean, our experience was, I think both of us were trying to be like super, it's almost like you're still like on your best behavior with everything. Um, it's like, you're still trying to make a good impression. <laughs> well, that, um, and you're too busy, like rigorously consummating the marriage, yeah. <laughs> uh, to really notice anything else. Yeah, that's true. It's, so, when it's not like you have money to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. There was plenty of fun to be had yeah. without the money. You guys are, I'm, I, I, for a Poor second, Christian. I was going to say, I'm going to pull a Kanye, but that was going to yeah. come across really bad. Oh, really bad. Yeah. I, I meant like get up and leave. Up yeah. and leave. Not, 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 the, not all the other He's going to side with the Nazis. Did. Is that what you're saying? But, uh, but, but I think, uh, I, I, again, I, I think during that newlywed phase, there's, there's a lot there that's, there's a lot there that's very, very easy. I, I think being a, a good husband during that newlywed phase is, is built around two things. One, you know, in, in, in our situation, I, I had been in the military for a year and so I was pretty you know, comfortable with, um, you know, the, I wasn't making much money, but I, I, we, we had a guaranteed paycheck coming in and stuff like that. So I, I was providing, um, uh, stability and security, even though it wasn't a lot of, you know, even though it was a lot of money, like there was a guaranteed paycheck. We knew I was going to get paid month after month. Um, some of the things that, that I remember like from our, our first year or, or right around the first couple of years, was I planned since, since Tina and I didn't get a honeymoon, I planned a honeymoon. Um, and, and one of the things we're going to talk about this episode is some, some wins and some losses with respect to what we did. This is a win for Nick. All right. This is a win for Nick. So I, I'm not, I, I try to be, um, I, I try to be relatively romantic. And I think that was, I think that's especially important. You're, you're, Oh you know. man. So are we doing this? Yes, are we're we doing, doing this. this I'm taking the win on this oh, baby. Cause there's going to be some L's later. So I'm sitting here. It's, we're going into our first year of marriage again. We don't make a lot of money, but we never got a honeymoon. And so for our first anniversary, I tell Tina, you know, hey, babe, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna plan the the honeymoon. I'm gonna plan I'm gonna plan the trip. And I'm paranoid about money, and yeah. I'm the one who at this point pays all the bills and budgets everything. Yeah. And so he's talking about whatever he's might 
you know, that, that he's got this covered. And I'm thinking, I need to budget money for this. You need to tell me. No, because Tina, we, we decide this is one of the this is one of the things for newlyweds I would really, really recommend is that when you first get married, there is going to be somebody primarily responsible for, for managing the budget. And we established early on um, because we were in the military and because my job could theoretically take me across the world or go into training for two weeks. It didn't make sense for me to be the one handling the budget because I could go to what they called a field problem or a field exercise for two weeks. And and now I'm not going to be in a position where I, I have reception or I yeah, can deal with- Yeah, he wouldn't be able to pay bills at that so point. So we established early on that was going to be Tina's thing to do. But what I had to respect from that is that Tina had the budget. And so I couldn't be going off doing crazy stuff um, because Tina's the one that had to make make that work. Um, but I was adamant I was going to plan this trip. Well, I had gotten a great deal on a seven-day cruise. In fact, the cruise line we went on no longer exists. It was right? like Bob's cruise Bob's line. Bob's cruise line. But, you know, Bob's No, it wasn't Bob. That was our joke. No, it, it wasn't, wasn't really. Cruise line. That's our but, joke. So I, I planned this whole thing out. I planned we this whole thing out. still had a blast. And I'm so proud of myself, but I don't want her to know that's what we're doing. I don't want her to know that. So I tell her, like, oh, I'm thinking about, hey, well, maybe we'll go down to Disney World, right? Because basically we're still kids. But... <laughs> We'll go down to Disney World where, uh, you know, we'll stay here. And, and Tina's asking me all these very relevant budget-oriented questions. Where are we going to stay? How much is it going to cost if you budgeted for meals? And I'm like, baby, I got it. I got it. Yeah, and I didn't realize that he had worked out with his mom how to pay for this to where I would not see this. So he was able to kind of loop it yeah. loop it through her in order to make me not see Yeah, so I'm, 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 taking, I'm taking care of this stuff. And I'm really proud of myself because I've got it worked out. And the nice thing about a cruise you don't got to worry about budgeting. It's like all done. Like you pay for the cruise and it's done. You're good. Yeah. And I was like, this is going to be perfect because we don't have any money. So I'm thinking, right? I'm trying to be a good husband here. I'm thinking about, you know, how what, what is going to actually put her mind at ease. Because even if we go someplace nice and she's worried about the money the whole time, she's not going to have a good time. Right? So I had to, so I'm very proud of myself at this point. And at the, this point, 19-year-old you. 19-year-old right? well, he's me. 20 at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 20 at this point. Because it's our first anniversary, so I'm twenty. So twenty year old me is still very, very proud of of me, right? <laughs> and and setting this up, I'm gonna take my beautiful wife on the honeymoon. She's always deserved. And the day before, day before we drive down there, because we had to drive from Fort Bragg down to uh, Canaveral. And the reason why I said we were going to Disney World is because the route down there is exactly the same. And I had this image in my head that we're gonna pull up. She's gonna be asleep in the car. We're gonna pull up. And instead of seeing it, she's going to see a cruise ship in front of her. Like, I, again, I thought about this, right? I thought about this. And the day before we leave, Tina looks at me. <laughs> and this, I will say, I will caveat this and say this, this is kind of my fault because of the way I led up to it. And she goes, honey, you, you don't know how much we're to budget for tickets. You, you haven't told me anything about budgeting for hotels. You don't have a budget for food. Like, I don't even want to go. I don't even want to go because I don't know how we're going to possibly pay for this. And, and so I, I got up, I grabbed my keys, I got up, walked out. He did something he never does. He took the keys took and the got keys in the car and, and left. Walked out. And got I'm like, the, oh my God. Got in the car and left. Oh, this was, this was dramatic Nick, right? Dramatic Nick was in full, like drove to the store, bought a dozen roses. Yeah. Came home, opened the door like John Wayne style guys, John Wayne style, handed her the roses. <laughs> and I was like, sit down. Cause you're about to feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> she sits down. I'm like, everything is planned. Everything is budgeted. I was going to take, we're going on a seven day Caribbean cruise, not Disneyland. You won't have to worry about paying a single bill. We don't got to worry about any of it. And the reason I didn't tell you is because we were going to drive all the way down there and you were going to wake up in front of the cruise ship and I was going to surprise you. But now I can't. 
<laughs> and it's your fault because you wanted to make sure that we didn't, you know, go into financial crisis. Over so this. what did I learn from this? The, the idea. So what he learned is Tina doesn't like surprises. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> what like I learned is surprises. The Hallmark story doesn't actually ever play out in reality. Because if, if this was a movie, yeah. what you had in your head would have would have actually well, yeah, but, but here's what I'll say. Like, here's what, I mean, it gave us a funny story, right? But the, here, what's, what's the teachable moment in all this, as, as our, our friends on the left like to say? Teachable moment was is that in my mind, I had, because we were newlyweds, in my mind, I had, just, I had you know, created this narrative of this is going to be like this super romantic, special romantic surprise thing that I... I did, but I wasn't taking into account like her personality, the way her mind thinks the one, again, I was listening to Hallmark instead of like actually taking into account what I had learned about my wife for the last year. And so it wasn't that she wasn't appreciative is that she had a job to do in the house that we had established was her primary responsibility. And now I was doing something and I got so caught up in again, you know, my, my narrative that yeah. I forgot, like, okay, I'm not really... You were doing something that, in my mind, looked reckless. Well, and this is... To that to that point, one thing that I learned from... Because I've never heard this story. I've known you two for, like, a dozen years, but yeah. I've never heard this story. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I think is worth, like, taking away from this, especially because it's kind of related to, like, broader stuff that we talk about on this show all the time, is you guys actually did a pretty good job based on what I'm hearing in terms of like budgeting and managing money. And Not always. There were times. It was okay. It well, was, okay. We scraped The sometimes. fact that you at least designated somebody to like manage the finances yeah. Yeah. and that you paid at least a minimal yeah. amount of attention we to We use it. the envelope method, you guys. <laughs> For those tried. of you who know. Where I'm what? going with this is that like a lot of people, a lot of Americans and Hamilton and I watch... YouTube videos all the time of people in our age group that just, they don't know how to manage money at all. Yeah. And and they'll just rack up, you know, $100,000 in, in debt for everything from cars to credit cards yeah, to student yeah. loans. And, and they just, they have no understanding of what the value of a dollar is. And it, I mean, you guys say that, oh, well, we didn't really do a great job. You did a way better well, we, job than so many other people in I their 20s I would say we today. qualified for food stamps, I think our first for the first like seven years oh, of our I don't marriage? Think, no, it wasn't seven. It wasn't seven. First like three or four. Well, first, th first three or four, we qualified for, for food stamps with respect. We, we qualified for assistance for a long time. Yeah. Like we qualified for WIC, all of that. And when I say we qualified for, yeah. I don't mean we utilized. Yeah, we, we never, we, we never did took not it. ever take any of it, but we were in the income bracket to be able to qualify for all of that. But here, here's, so here's kind of the, again, what I'm saying about all this is from being a good husband and, and being a good wife and the whatnot. What, what I found was that Tina, that, that especially that first year, was trying to be super cool and super accommodating with everything um, because she, again, she wanted to be a good wife, right? And, and again, I was trying to do something that, you know, I thought was, you know, super romantic and nice and this sort of thing. And it's not that it wasn't, it's just that it, it wasn't the best way suited for her. Yeah. And so, so the point is, is that during, during, as a newlywed, what I would highly encourage you to do is look at it as a time, especially if you don't have a lot of money, if you don't have a lot of other things, this is a great time to kind of learn personality traits and just be honest about these things because you're, you're in a super accommodating, you know, mode of your marriage. Um, and as, as Tina kind of alluded to before, there's, there's a particular activity that solves all problems your first year of marriage, <laughs> right? 
but it is a good time if you take advantage of it to really kind of observe and learn like, okay, what are the things that my wife genuinely appreciates? Not what Hollywood tells me or Disney tells me or Hallmark tells me. What does she appreciate? And, and vice versa for, for wives. It's super cool that Tina was, you know, again, very understanding, especially of my military schedule and everything else. Um, but taking that time to establish rules for communication, and, or I want to say rules, norms. We got to also hit on the fact that, okay, Nick, if he's buying something for himself, he's going to buy the cheapest of the cheap. And it's going to be like, and he'll try to eke by without actually getting it. Like, let's say he needs a new pair of tennis shoes. And I'm bringing that up because he needs a new pair of tennis shoes. I'm good. Okay. Anyway, he will wear, like, he will literally wear things out and not want to spend any money on himself. However, if he wants to surprise someone he loves, whether he's got the money or not, he will make it happen. And it's I know this bad. about him where he will go way overboard if he feels like he's doing something for somebody else. It's if so it's for true. him, he won't do it. But if it's for someone else, it's like, money be damned. It's, I'm going to so make true. it happen. Well, can I? So that means that I have to be really careful not to be like, hey, honey, I want this really expensive thing. Um, because he will straight up get it for me, whether we can or not. <laughs> I, that's not true. I don't Sometimes. like, I don't put the, I don't put like the family budget in danger. No, over no, like that. not anymore. But, <laughs> <laughs> but back in the day, like if I said I really loved something or want, wanted something, he would figure out a way to make it happen. Even if he had to, you know, do something on the side of their work or whatever. Like he would make some, make it happen. Isn't so, that like what you're supposed to, okay, this sounds like a naive question. The heart behind like it is amazing, but it's also something where knowing that he's that way puts an, a burden on me to go, don't go overboard with this. Cause he will just give until there's nothing left to give. Well, and, I, and I have to make sure that I don't, take advantage of that. There are women who will take advantage of that I had behavior. Buddies, I had buddies in the military that, yeah, a absolutely. Their, their, their wives learned very early on. They became gold diggers. Well, it, well, <laughs> there ain't a whole lot of gold digging when you're married to an enlisted man, right? <laughs> to like, an E2. The gold runs out really quick. It's more, more, like, more like copper, copper digging. digging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we both said that at the same time. Yeah, not even bronze. Somebody no came ten. in and goes, sounds like Nick definitely has a huge, uh, huge ideas in mind for Mother's Day. You know what I asked for for Mother's Day this year? <laughs> Pots and pans. Yeah, I want. I, okay, so have you guys seen those hex clad plant pans? Like, advertise on. I want. Those. Oh, you've got to get them. Now. And they're really expensive. Oh my god! But anyway, that just seems lame. Like, hey, honey, I got you this and a vacuum. Uh, there, there have been times when I've asked for a vacuum, and he's like, "I'm just not going to get you that. You, you it's a vacuum. vacuum. Why would I get you that? Vacuum. Last year for my birthday." I asked for a kitchen sink from Costco, this yeah. big kitchen sink, and he got it for me and it came with like a faucet and everything. And so I spent my birthday installing my kitchen sink. Well, and, but I will tell you, this is something I learned about Tina. Tina is like always happiest when she has a project that she's working she's on. All, she's like an engineer. Or, yeah. or, or, or a, 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 but, but see, like most people would like, if Tina were to tell somebody, if Tina were to tell somebody that didn't know us very well. They would think Nick was a jerk. They would think I was a punk. But like, this is me in my happy place, yeah. you know? Like he knows now that this makes me happy have we and told so he'll do it 
Have we ever told the audience that the table that we're all sitting at was yeah. built by yes, Tina? Yes, Christian, you've yeah. told them before. And it, like, beautiful like, table. Like the walls. Like our, audience is, our audience has grown a lot yeah, over the past month, so true. it's worth bringing up. Okay, oh, also real, the, real quick, for those of us who aren't married yet, and imagine that at one point in our life we will plan a surprise trip. What are the three things we should keep in mind, Nick? Well, first of all, the, okay, number one thing, does your spouse like surprises? Now, okay. everyone likes to say they don't like. Now, it, now, if someone says they don't like any surprises. Hey, if Nick was going to surprise me with a million dollars, I would like that surprise. Here, here's what I can <laughs> No, I'm, I'm really going to hit on that. Find out if they like surprises because here, here's what I'll tell you. Most people, when they do a surprise for their, their spouse, it usually, or, or a lot of times, I won't say most times, a lot of times it involves other people. Okay. If your wife is more introverted and you throw her a surprise party with people, uh, good luck, dude. <laughs> good luck. I mean, that's just don't do it. Um, but if you're surprising her with with uh, something like a thing that is not going to require, because here's the thing, especially if your wife's more more introverted, when when you surprise her with an event or people, she now has to be on. She has to yeah. be like, and so don't do that because, and I'm more extroverted. So like, you throw me a surprise party, I might think it's it's totally cool. Um, she doesn't, and so yeah, I Nick don't. loves peopling, and I, I. I love people in like, yeah. you know, in a controlled environment. So, so not too many. find out if they like surprises. The second thing is, is that if they don't, but you still want to do, you still want an element of surprise, then you surprise them in a way that you know is not going to clash with their personality okay. and it's not going to obligate them to do something else. And, and then I, I would say the third thing that was relevant for us, especially as newlyweds is when you do the surprise, when, when you get a little bit older and you're a little bit more financially stable, the, the surprises can come can become more, um, you know, you, you can throw more money at the surprise. Yeah. When, when you're first married and you don't necessarily have that, um, the thing that I've learned about Tina is, or, or and, and I think this is, I think this is true of, of most women because our, our friends talk about it. Um, when you're first married and there is something that you have picked up on um, that, they, that they notice or they like, that, but that they don't think you know or they don't think you've really understood or loved and you do something kind of elaborate around that, that is huge. That is huge. I'll give you one example of, of that where uh, when Tina and I went on that first um, anniversary trip, um, again, we didn't have a lot of money, but we stopped at a place in, in one of the islands and there was a black pearl necklace that she just absolutely loved and we got the black pearl necklace. That black pearl necklace didn't make it home with us. Oh, man. It got stolen on the ship. Yeah. Right. So fast forward seven years later, I'm in Iraq and I'm in Iraq for our anniversary. So I found the same black pearl necklace at the same store on the same island in the Caribbean and sent her that. Um, she got me a gun. I was so stoked. <laughs> but, the, but the thing was is that there, there's, again, I know I just gave kind of a, a monetary explanation, but there, there's, there's things where fine little individual points of meaning. And if you're really paying attention, and, and this is a thing for men, you really got to focus on that first year of marriage. Pay attention to your wife and be very deliberate about it because once kids start coming, right? And that's going to be the next thing we get into is what happens when babies and toddlers start showing up, right? When kids start coming, your, your attention is going to be diverted by necessity. Right. So use that first year, use those first couple of years just together very, very wisely to understand, you know, you know, how, how your wife works, what her mindsets mm -hmm. are, likes, dislikes. And, and not only that, but, but identifying the things that really speak, you know, people call it love language and stuff yeah. like that. That stuff is true. That, that stuff is real. And so figure, figure that out and, and be able, um, be, be able to like deliver on that. 
I'm, I'm thinking that to summarize what you've said is men need to be really, really considerate and thoughtful in that first year. Uh, it's not necessary. It's more of um, be in an attitude of learning. Okay. So you're learning each other. And, you know, what society says one person wants or another person wants is not necessarily true for your spouse. Everybody's a, Everybody is individual. We're not exactly the same. And so um, there are certain things that I absolutely love that that are perfect for me that another woman would be like, eh, no. Yeah. You know, so you've just got to make sure that you know like your power spouse. tools. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Um, somebody also asked if um, I ever went to those FRG meetings. Oh, yeah, the family, the family readiness, readiness group, groups. Family readiness um, groups. Where it was really funny because not to be mean to officers' wives or anything, but I remember going to my first family readiness group meeting and there were all these enlisted wives sitting on the floor playing with their babies. And all the officers' wives were sitting in the seats talking and chatting and no kids, you know, like not yet anyway. And that was my first impression. And I went, I'm not coming here again. <laughs> so no thanks. Oh, yes. Okay, we got another question here. Other than a designated finance planner, budgeter, what else uh, is there that should be considered and designated, not married yet, but engaged? Um, so a lot of that, if you're engaged, a lot of that, I think we discussed in our last episode on various questions that you have to ask, because that, that's a great question. You, you really should be doing things like, um, establishing responsibilities around the house, because that's, you're now sharing space with dishes and laundry and making beds and cleaning bathrooms and all this other stuff. And, and there should be an understanding of who's going to be kind of, and the way we worded it is primarily responsible and secondarily responsible. Yeah. So, you know, for instance, I don't think it's, if, if the man is the primary breadwinner and, and they're working a full-time job, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think it's reasonable for the, and, and the wife is primarily staying at home and managing the house. I don't think it's reasonable to expect the man to have the primary responsibility of maintaining the house right now. If the woman is working, if the wife is working, that's very different. That's yeah. very different. It's like, this is just about, it's not that hard to figure out. It's pretty, it's pretty logical, but you should definitely figure out kind of duties and responsibilities around the house. One of the things that Tina and I did that changed over time was initially it was, I'm responsible for outside, she's responsible for inside. Now, does that mean I never do my own laundry? No. Um, and especially in the military, I did I did all my own ironing because you know back in the day before the, the war started, we saw it in like spit shine boots, you had to iron your uniform right. a certain way and I was just better at it. I was not good at ironing. Uh. Um, but, you know, I was good at not getting kiwi on the couch sofa cushion. Ooh, yeah, kiwis for its boot polish. Yeah. And yeah, I may I may have I may have got it on the couch and like flipped over the, the cushion. It's OK. Mod she wouldn't notice. Modern day millennials and, and Zoomers would be like, what's ironing? What's <laughs> <laughs> well, now we like steam everything out. Yeah, but I, I would but to to that point, like look at all the kind of like daily duties and tasks, yeah. whether it's budgeting, whether it's chores, whether it's cooking, whether it's stuff like that, and and come up with a system. And and here's what here's what's most important about that. Set up primary responsibilities and alternate responsibilities, right? And then um there, there's this idea of show gratitude toward one another. Like I, I will tell you right now as a man, I, I there have been times where Tina's just stopped me and said, I hope you know how proud I am of you. Uh, yeah. What an excellent provider you are. Dude, that will light up my day. Like I can crawl through broken glass if I need to for the rest of the day with a smile on my face. When she tells me how proud, and again, she didn't just say I'm proud of you. 
She said, I'm, I'm proud of what, a, what an excellent well, provider you've been for our family. It's because I've seen people gatekeep the praise. Yeah. Um, well, if they know that they're that great, then they'll suddenly realize that they could do better than me and they'll leave. You know, it's that mentality where it's like, oh, if I tell my wife she's pretty, she's going to believe it and maybe she won't choose me anymore. Oh. And it, it's like, it's so the opposite because a woman only wants to feel beautiful to her husband. Like if he... If he makes her feel beautiful, then she doesn't need to hear it from anybody else. And um, and then if 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 the wife makes the husband feel um, valued and adored and and respected, he's not going to be seeking that anywhere else. Then you know, and and there is that that mentality where people think it's the opposite. They think if you give too much praise, they're going to get a big head and they're yeah. going to go out and do whatever. And I just feel like that is such the wrong way to look at it because um in all honesty there's not a person in the world that i admire as much as i admire nick and he should know that like it's important that he knows that yeah. other people don't need to know as much as he needs to know yeah do you think that that like has this been a do you see this as a larger or similar problem with younger generations like millennials and gen z i actually i don't know about those generations but i do know what was modeled for me yeah and um, I saw a lot of behavior growing up that I would never want to take into my marriage. And we both, we both actually kind of saw that and went, we're going to, there are certain things that we're not going to do yeah. on purpose. And one of the ones that used to get me was watching some of the men on my father's side of the family when the wife was there, they acted like, oh, she's got, she wears the pants in the family, da, da, da. But when the wife wasn't there and they were out fishing or whatever, and I got to go on a lot of fishing trips and yeah. hear how the wives were talked about. And it was, it was like they were talking about their enemy. The, they would rag on their wives so bad. And I also heard women ragging on their husbands. Yeah. And it was just like this, this, it was like they would tell the rest of the world, how much they hated their spouse. It was right. just like they hated each other. But then when they were together, they acted like they didn't hate each other, like they actually liked each other. Yeah. So I don't understand why they did that, but it made such a huge impression on me. Like I never, ever want my husband going out and ragging on me to people. Yeah. You know, that would make me feel horrible. I mean, it's, I, I, it's one thing where it's like, oh, yeah, well, the wife cooked this terrible thing. Ha, ha, ha. How, Whatever. But, like, to be like, and I told that be blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, if you don't love me away, then don't come and pretend right. to love me in front of me. And I actually, I told one of my brothers this when he was going to get married. I'm like, here's what I will tell you. Do not do this thing where you don't love your, love your wife away from her and with her. So when you're with other people, if you're ragging on your wife, no, yeah. no, no, well, no, we, no, no. When we've got, this is one thing we established early on too that I think has served us incredibly well. When we have issues with each other, we settle it. We do not bring in friends. We do not bring in parents. Yeah. We do not bring in kids. We don't, none of that. Yeah. Like from, from the very, because it's so easy early on as you're, um, as you're figuring things out, for uh, to to get to have miscommunication, to have frustrations, yeah. and to and to want to talk to somebody about it, 
And, and again, uh, and the other thing I'll say is when you're first married and you're around other married people, and a lot of times some of the married people you'll be at around work, like I was in the military, were not necessarily happy married people. Yeah. Yeah. We they, were a lot around a lot. of. They want to sit there and reinforce this negative, you know, yeah. stereotype. I'll never forget. I, I had a sergeant at this point. I had been married, I think two years or no, maybe it was three. I think it was longer than that. It was two yeah. or three. And this, this sergeant looks at me and he goes, um, he's, he's talking about how frustrated he is with his wife about something. And I'm like, I love being married. He goes, well, we'll wait until you've been married a few years. I said, well, how long have you been married? He goes, I've been married two years. I'm like, well, I've been married three. Maybe it's you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh. And, and, how, what, what did he say in response I mean, what was to he that? Gonna, what was he going to say? I mean, it, it was this impression that if you weren't having the same issues within your marriage, then it was because you hadn't been married long enough. You were still in this honeymoon phase where yeah. it's like, no. There's things that work in marriages and there's things that don't work. And you're doing a lot of things that don't work, i.e. sitting here talking crap about your wife to me. Um, this was the same, this was, this was the same NCO. Um, I'm debating whether or not I, maybe I'll share that story later. Um, I have a question. And this, I, it, this NCO and I had another interesting conversation at one point where I, I'm surprised I didn't get thrown out of a vehicle, but th th this kind of flows into the whole discussion about like when kids show up, like, why do you think, because I have a feeling it's around this time, like, for example, my, my parents got divorced when I was like an infant, basically. And I have a feeling that this is around the time period when the honeymoon phase wears off and the kids start to show up that the divorce rate starts to skyrocket. And well, let's, yeah, I, that's a good, like, like what? Yeah. A huge you, number of marriages don't make it past three years. Yeah. And then the next yeah. big one is seven years. So then the, the question that I have, and you could use this question to segue into yeah. your next segment, like. Why do you think, and it's kind of an open-ended question, like, like why, why do you think so many marriages end in divorce? I, I do. I think there's a lot of reasons. There are so many reasons. I, I mean, why. It, it all, it all starts, like people will say things like infidelity or um, irreconcilable differences or different goals or whatnot. And almost all of it, I mean, could stem back to crappy communication with one another before they got married. Either it's two people that probably should have never gotten married in the first place. They but ignored now, the red flags. They, ahead they ignored of time. the red flags. They they let uh, they and, and this is another reason why we said early on, don't get physical in your relationship in ways that are inappropriate before you get married. And people will always look at us and be like, oh well, that's very puritanical. Like, and it works. And and the reason why it works is because you need the, to love the person's mind before you love their body. You need that's, to love their mind, their personality, like yeah. that, because the body stuff is easy, right? That is easy. And if you you start to let that dominate. It will prevent you from asking questions and doing other things that you should before you get married um, and, and to establish whether or not this is someone you would really like to get married or if this is just someone you like to sleep with. So that's want, why you shouldn't do this. I want to point out one thing when it comes to disagreements and somebody even asked a question about, you know, what do you do uh, in disagreements? Who was that? What have you learned to improve your communication, especially during disagreements? Um, we actually had to learn good communication together. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't understand communication as well um, as Nick did. And Nick actually helped me understand the power of my words because there was a bit of a growing up. I saw people use words and say things they did not mean in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. And they would say, you can't unring the bell. They would say all of these things to cut their spouse apart, to cut deep, just to hurt them because they were so angry. 
And then later on, they couldn't take it back. And those things can't go on. They can't be unsaid once they're said. And if you didn't really mean it, you shouldn't shouldn't say it in the first place. Yeah. And sometimes people say what they don't mean because they, they're still struggling to figure out what they mean. And they start popping off before they've really given it thought. And I, you know, I kind of grew up um, watching some of that type of stuff happen and I saw some folks around that that we were that we knew um who weren't in my family um who would I mean we knew one gal that would just say whatever she could to just emasculate her husband. She would say things like he was small or or puny or a little man and things like that where it's like you're making this man hate you. Like he will hate you for saying things like this. And how how dare you? You know, and and there are men who will say similar types of things to their wives too. And you cannot continue to love somebody who says things to you like that. Words have power. And when Nick and I were first married, um man, I I had to learn to say what I, exactly what I meant because it was, it was, he would take exactly what I said, say it back to me. And I'm like, that's not what I mean. <laughs> and he'd go, well, then say what you mean. What do you really mean? And he would kind of, it was almost like he's working with me to figure out what I really mean. And some of it is because none of that was mo- really modeled for me growing up. And so, but because we were on the same team, we wanted to communicate. We wanted to both be on the same page. We worked together on it and, I, and we wouldn't let it go until it was settled. And it wasn't just, oh, I just gave up. It was, no, we both got on the same page. We both recognized that, oh, that's right. This is correct. And I, this I, other thing is not correct. I you think know? There, there, was, there was three things. That, I mean, if I had to do three, one was, again, we, we don't, if, if we got an issue with something, we don't share it with other people. We're not bringing them into that conversation. We just do it with us. Two, as, as Tina articulated earlier in our marriage, she goes, just always talk to me like I'm the woman you love. Just remember. And basically what that was is that, you know, we had seen other people, you know, argue with one another as a spouse and they were just like cutting to one another. Like they would just try to try to cut the other person down and like win the argument yeah. as opposed to come to. And like, they were the resolution. ones that made fun of us for the way we argued. Yeah. And then, and then the, the third thing was, and this was something that I had. So that was one thing Tina told me, always talk to me like I'm the woman. Remember I'm the woman you love whenever you talk to me. And one of the things I told Tina was I'm not responsible for when you speak to me, I'm not responsible for what you meant. I'm responsible for a reasonable interpretation of the words you used. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And and what that what that choose your was, words wisely. Yeah. Like, be careful with your words. Words that whole like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words can be some of the most hurtful things in yeah. a marriage, and so you've just got to be careful of that. And so the other aspect of what I was going to say on the communication side is that, and and Nick and I really try to implement this is if we are having a disagreement. We don't take it to our mommy and daddy and go to them and say, you know what my mean old husband said, or you yeah. know what my mean old wife yeah. said. And we didn't, we don't go and complain to our family members about our spouse. And the reason we don't do that is because inevitably you'll end up forgiving your spouse and everything will be okay, right? Except that your in-laws now hate your guts yeah. because, and and your in-laws don't have the capacity to forgive 
your spouse the way they ha- that you have the capacity yeah. to forgive your spouse. And so if I'm running to my mom and I'm telling my mom all these things that my husband has said or done or and, and I'm giving it to her from my filtered uh, perspective, of course, yeah. so I'm the victim, right? Because it's not like she's going to call me up and get my side of the story. Right. <laughs> and I'm telling her all this. And then the next, and my mom's thinking, this guy's hurting my baby girl, right? And then- the next thing you know, we're all better now. And and I expect my mom to treat him nice. No, no wonder in-laws yeah. hate their spouse or their kids' spouses is because so many of these people run off to mommy and daddy and rag all over their spouse over every little thing, every little argument. And here's the deal. Work it out with your spouse. If you're going to somebody else to try to team build and get people on your team against your spouse, you're doing it wrong. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You you cannot go and try to turn people against your spouse and then wonder why they hate your spouse later on. Mm-hmm. You you can forgive your spouse. Your parent's not going to forgive your spouse the way yeah. you can. That's yeah. some really good advice. Quick question, Tina. Me personally, I, I'm very open to having debates or discussions, especially when the other person is committed to getting to a a good end state with that debate or problem or whatever it is. Happy to have it. But I generally don't like having arguments when I know that the other person isn't going to desire to get to that same end state or find a solution. So I'm sure that that problem comes up in marriage. Obviously, I'm not married, but I assume that it would come up on either side with me or my spouse. Right. So what what should we do in that situation? I will say that, like, for the most part, Nick and I, we really do try to always um keep in focus that we are we are trying to reach an understanding there are times when emotions are too high and we neither of us are feeling that (laughs) right and those are the moments where you those moments where it's like i don't even want to keep having this conversation you're just being crazy you know yeah or whatever um and we get to those moments too. Like this is not all puppy dogs and lollipops. Like we are both very passionate people. Y'all argue and like people I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. We, because it's we- very, very effective though. We are, and that's the point is go ahead and have the arguments, but be productive about it. Yeah. When there's no, nothing left to fight for, that's when you know it's over. Is because you're not willing to fight for yeah, it. A lot, of, a lot of times marriages are in danger, not because they're fighting, they're in danger because they just- they could because they fighting stopped anymore. fighting yeah. there's because a, they're not willing to f- to fight for each other anymore. Mm. There's a question that I see in the comments that I think is like a honestly a <laughs> I did did anybody pay this person? It's it's a really good question. It's from Stocks Family Farm and it says, "How do you recommend continuing to raise a family in remote Oregon as a Christian conservative while the Democrats control everything via cities?" Oregon is obviously home yeah, to yeah. to Portland, not exactly a conservative bastion. Um <laughs> And you you know you get out of the Portland metro area and, and it's it's all red country but yeah. you know it's it, Oregon has what we went through briefly in Virginia when the Democrats controlled the legislature we were able to push back but they just don't have the you know Democrats I, I, have controlled more, the state for a long time more and more people I think are, are getting frustrated this whole idea that they want to raise their families and they want to raise their kids and we can use this to kind of transition to the whole idea of like what happens when you start having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they get frustrated and the whole idea is, is that okay well how do we how do we control this now I, I will say this. Um, there's a lot of frustrating things going on in politics and people have to be involved in politics. But one of the reasons why this pod, why this show doesn't focus exclusively on politics is because 
many of the things that you can actually do to make your life a whole lot better, to make sure your kid's education is better, you don't got to ask permission from a politician to do. You can just do it. Now, it might take additional work. It might be frustrating. Like, okay, why do I got to pay all these taxes, do X, Y, and Z when I'm not utilizing those services? Yeah, that's frustrating. You should probably elect people that you think will better reflect your values. But you, you don't need a politician to do any of the stuff that kind of we're talking about right here. And the other reason why I think it's so important culturally is because a lot of the conversations in politics, especially if you're someone that primarily just wants the government off your back, right? You're not trying to get anything out of the government other than, hey, protect us from foreign invasion, protect us from, you know, maybe, you know, people robbing, stealing and committing fraud and things like that. But other than that, I don't need a lot of your help, right? You're always kind of at a disadvantage within the political realm when against people that are adamant about the government providing them goods and services and, you know, opportunities. The phrase I've heard is, is that the side that wants to win will always beat the side that wants to be left alone. Yeah. And and so, so part of the thing that's so important about the way that you raise your family and and the way that you treat your spouse um, is that it, it reflects into how you raise your kids, the values that they get. And then your kids have to grow up seeing those in action. Um, even if you're really politically involved, if all your kids see is, oh, the way mom and dad tried to solve problems was by getting more involved politically, well, then the answer is still the government, right? The answer is still politics. And, and in so many of these issues, it isn't. Um, like, for instance, you want to you solve like 70% of the criminal population or the incarcerated population right now? Dads, stay at home and be good fathers. Like, I'm, it, it is what it is. Um, you you want to you solve most of the abortions in the country? Dads. Be involved. And, and people get upset with me, like, why are you always hammering on dads? It's not that women don't have a responsibility, right? It's just that I'm, I'm speaking from a, a husband and a father's perspective. So what I would say is that if you're living in, a, in an area where it just becomes untenable, one of the good things about the United States is you can still move, right? Uh, but the other thing, too, is, is look for ways that you can actually look for the things that you can control and maximize your efforts there. That doesn't mean you ignore the other things, but maximize your efforts around the things that you can actually control. Um, and, and one, you'll be a lot happier. And what, what will happen from that is that you'll find more and more people that as you're talking about like, Hey, that's a lie or that shouldn't be done. Or the government doing that is wrong. If you want people to turn away from a lie, point them toward the truth. You can't just point toward the lie because a lot of lies are comforting. A a lot of lies feel good in the moment, despite the fact that they're going to destroy you five, 10, 15 years from now. So if you want someone to give up something that isn't true, point to something that is true. And Oh, by the way, if you're raising your family and you're, you're doing your work and you're raising your kids and you have this wonderful relationship and they're sitting there wondering how the heck do you have all this figured out? That's a great opportunity to talk about the things that are, that really matter in life. And so, I mean, that's why we, we dedicate entire episodes mm-hmm. to talking about this stuff, yeah. but let, let me move over to this, this next part. Cause we got a couple other phases we wanted to get to here. One is, so that's the newlywed phase, right? Really take the time when it's just the two of you to figure out communications, to figure out likes and dislikes, to figure out responsibilities and to really kind of hammer that down because once the babies start arriving, um, Everything changes. It's really cool, but now all of a sudden there's this there's this other life. Now your life. super cool wife gets just a little crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you, those hormones are strong, man. I I mean, so strong. Well, for, first thing I want to tell husbands when your when your wife is pregnant. Um, so when she reveals to you that she's pregnant, um, your your response should always be excitement, right, and affection, right, excitement and affection. Even if you're scared to death. In that moment, your wife is incredibly vulnerable because whether you've been trying for kids or not trying for kids or whatnot, there's this, there's this thing where she, she wants you to be super, super happy and supportive 
And that's what you need to do. Be, be super happy and supportive. If you're like, holy crap, what am I going to do? Okay, fine. Button that crap down, right, for when she tells you, right? And look, if you're, if you're at a stage where, you know, you, maybe you are actively trying or whatnot, you, you need to be, like, mentally prepared that when you get that news. And I was happy. I was, I was thrilled when Tina was pregnant. It was about a year before. We had, we had just got done, like, two weeks earlier discussing, like, when are we going to, like, really try for kids, and I said, I think we should wait two more years. And she goes, I think we should try now. And then we're like, all right, what, let's How do about a year and a half. Let's do a year. We'll do a year. We'll do a year. We're, we're stationed in Hawaii. We'll do a year here. And then we'll like really start trying. Two weeks later, I'm pregnant, you know, because she couldn't keep her hands off me. Anyway, the point, <laughs> that's my version. Like, of and I didn't even know I was pregnant. <laughs> I, I went to the doctor thinking there was something else going on with me. And I'm like, why is, why do I feel like this? And the doctor's like, oh. You're pregnant. So that yeah. was interesting because <laughs> I did me, not expect that. So I was surprised, but I, I was, I was excited. I mean, I, I remember that point. Well, you were really mad because I had a friend of mine okay. walk in with He me. had a friend of his who I didn't, let's just say he wasn't my type of person. <laughs> and he wasn't, he also just, but Nick what like always watching? gives people the benefits of, of the doubt. And, but I just thought he was kind of sleazy. <laughs> and, um, Anyway, this guy's over and I'm like, hey, Nick, I really need to talk to you. And he just turns around the guy and goes, she's pregnant. And I'm like, I'm going to just punch you. I, <laughs> so like, I look punch at him and then I look at her and, and she like looks at me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's right. She's, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's Tina great. Yeah, did, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's how I want it. Thanks, yeah. dude. Yeah. No wonder your marriage is failing. Oh, anyway. Oh, oh, man, oh but it did. Oh, my anyway. God. Uh, he doesn't know how to treat a woman. Queen of the bees from the top ropes, man. Time, well, you know, time. it wasn't like I was happy about it or anything like that, but it was definitely, they did not, that yeah. was not a good. Mm -mm, but yeah, good. so that's what I'm going to say. Guys do that. Second thing I'm going to tell guys, all right, is during the pregnancy, you're going to have to be super accommodating. So that wife, especially if you got like, if you're, so Tina and I were married two years, two and a half. Yeah. Probably two and a yeah. half years. We were in Hawaii. So uh, again, now you, now you got to be, aware of a couple of things. Um, one, a lot of things that she might've done before around the house, cooking, stuff like that, depending on the pregnancy and, and everybody's kind of different on this, but the morning sickness can be bad. Oh Certain my gosh, smells can be bad. You may I, have to be moving things out of the house that you like, can't. I was working in Honolulu and I had to drive, um, from, uh, all the way from Schofield barracks down to Honolulu every single day for work. And I'd get stuck in traffic. I had morning sickness so bad that I could be driving on the road and having to like roll down the window and get sick out the window. It was so bad. Um, if I opened up my spice cabinet yeah, at all, like anybody opens my spice cabinet, I'm done. Because yeah. I, when you get pregnant, it's like you get this go-go gadget nose <laughs> and you can smell everything and everything stinks. Everything yeah. just turns your stomach. And man, I was so sick. I was, I just, like, so I was just, so sick. I think I, we went to the hospital at one point and they had yeah. to give me like Finnergan or something to try to like stop me from yeah. throwing and up. And you love so tomato sandwiches were like the one thing you could consistently that, No, eat. I couldn't originally, like I was, I was in big trouble. And then finally, like at around the three month mark, the first thing I could eat was a tomato sandwich. Yeah. And so I had those. So husbands just prepare to be accommodating because like Tina is a super, rational person. Like I've never, I've had guys before talk about like, you know, fights and stuff they get into. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to relate. Tina doesn't do that. She's, she's just very rational. 
But when the hormones start kicking in, yeah, right, they're they're and, and, and the is, morning sickness isn't just morning sickness; it's morning, noon, and night sickness. Yeah. It's all day. <laughs> yeah. So we so that that's the second thing. Like, just understand yeah. that certain certain things that are happening now, um, hormonally. She 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 probably doesn't mean everything she said right? <laughs> about about why you can't remember to not open the spice cabinet when you just wanted salt, man. You just wanted salt, right? So just keep that in mind that yeah. maybe that's not a time to get in a super rational conversation and be like, "This is ridiculous." You mean I can't even get, dude? Just take the salt out and put it somewhere else so you don't got to open up that spice cabinet yeah. again, right? Make accommodations. Oh man. Here's the third thing I'm going to tell you. When the baby is being born, you have some responsibilities, right? I'm sorry, dude. It ain't, it ain't 1950 where you're in the other room with cigars and cognac with your buddies waiting for the doctor to call to see if the child's been born yet. Right? Yeah. Oh, it's right? not like that. <laughs> you're, you're, gonna, you're probably going to be in the room and you're going to be holding her hand, right? And you're going to have some duties that you think. You're not holding her hand. You're holding a leg. I was holding your hand. And a leg. Anyway. Sure. Anyway. So we're, yeah. So keep in mind too. Keep in mind too. This is a military hospital, which means a training hospital, which means room full of doctors going. All right, now let's see what's going on here. Yeah. So you're you're standing there as a husband, right? And and like like one doctor, nurse, okay. All of a sudden, like nine other doctors walking in, and you're like, you're ready to like, what, what are you doing in here, man? <laughs> right? So, but you have some responsibilities, right? Yeah. You're you're holding hands, and as contractions start, you're gonna you're gonna be upset. You're going to be upset because as a man, you want to take care of your wife. You want to prevent her from having pain and you can't do any of that now. And she's got to do all the work and you have one primary responsibility that just seems trivial and stupid and God help you if you don't do it. Hold her hand and when you Count. are responsible for counting to 10 through contractions and pushing and all this other stuff, you better do that. You better be enthusiastic about it. One, two, Three. Well, you know what four. it was? I had a contraction start, right? Because like my mom was there who's an OB nurse, right? And and I'm looking at something else and I'm paying attention. And Tina's like, count. I'm like, oh, crap. I'm sorry. One, <laughs> two, three, four. I'm like, is well, this what really it was doing is anything? I was pretty sure that he must not have realized that I was using that as a focal point to get me through it to like know that it was ending soon. And and then when the counting went away, it's like I didn't know when this was going to end now yeah. because he stopped counting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, that's just funny. So it would, it, yeah, that that was that was crazy. And I, I will tell you, when when Lily was born, Lily was a tough labor. Yeah. I mean, she kept. Well, she, we won't go into all of this. Well, it's she just, had the umbilical cord wrapped around her 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 neck twice. Yeah. And so very very like to the point where so most almost, people say, "Oh, I was in labor for two. I pushed for two hours. Yeah. I pushed." For two hours, yeah, not labor. Labor was nineteen. Pushing. It pushed for two hours, and it was so because think about she had all the, the times cord I had to just count to taking 10. her back. <laughs> the cord kept pulling her back in. Yeah, the cord. So basically, sorry. All of a sudden, poor Christian's over here. He's like, I'm gonna vomit. I'm gonna vomit. All of a sudden, you. So Lily's born, and I look over, but she's not. Like you know, again, the movie. The movies don't prepare dads for this crap, right? Right. Uh, because like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. When kids are first born, they're beautiful because they're your kids, not because. Anyways. They're slimy and blue. But the point is, is that <laughs> Christian's dying. So the here. point is, is like Lily's blue. She's not crying. Tina's like, you know, bleeding. There was complications there. Lily's not like 
She doesn't look or right. Crying. Her she her look score right. is low. Yeah. Like she's not really breathing. She's not making any noise. I'm sitting there. I look over at my mom and my mom, who is an OB nurse, right? Like no delivered. She has seen it all. I mean, I don't know how many different babies. And my mom looks scared. Well, now I'm sitting here, and again, I get to do nothing in this situation except put on your strong face and everything's going to be okay. And you did great. And I'm so proud of you. And yeah, the baby's fine. They're just taking care. I mean, that's your, so just mentally prepared going into it. it. It hardly ever looks like Hallmark. However, I will say this on our second. So again, this was my mindset. And this is the part where every woman that watches or follows me on social media is going to be like, you jerk. jerk. <laughs> so keep in mind the first time, Epidural didn't work, two hours of pushing, a lot of pain, a lot of everything, and I mean, a lot of uncertainty and the whole deal. Second baby, like, first push, Luke just goes, you know, like, right. Why you gotta do the no? He has to do the sound. <laughs> Luke comes out, you know, things work beautifully. Tina wasn't in a lot of pain, the whole deal. And you know She's what like the man smelling. says? <laughs> Oh, I was pretty sure those nurses it were going was, to rip his head off. Okay, it he was looks at joke. me and he's like, that's it? <laughs> Make me a sandwich. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. It went, no, she looked at me. No, you got to understand. You got to understand. We were cracking no, jokes through we the whole process. Jokes so. the whole time. Tina felt great. Wasn't a lot of pain this time. <laughs> Everything worked the way it was supposed to. Tina laughed when I said it, right? So please understand. I was. Oh, oh yeah. you said that. Yes. He oh, said. Oh, my goodness. He did. I'm going to take a note to never do anything like that. <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? This is made but an I, excellent story. Okay, but you understand, years. I was laughing. Yeah, like, was, we okay. were laughing about it, and I, because we were both like, that's it? Yeah. And right. I was like, well, maybe I could make him a sandwich. You know, it was a total joke. He <laughs> didn't actually joke. mean okay, that. Okay. It, so. it was a joke. And then, and then the one other thing I'll take, <laughs> all right, this is just so we can totally destroy Christian. Because oh, I got to no. tell this story too. Remember when when Luke, so we got Luke's circumcised. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> I, I, I chose that. Wait, no, no, this is great. This is great. Doctor comes over. Doctor comes over, right? And and she she takes Luke <laughs> off, and she goes, "Do you want to be there?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, I gotta I gotta protect my son." She goes, "I understand he's gonna be married one day. I'm very careful." I said, "Okay." So we go over there, and <laughs> I, can't you're telling I know story. I'm gonna get in so much trouble for this. So we go over there. She does the circumcision, everything goes fine. And she looks at me, she goes, and remember, I'm in, I'm in special forces right now. Like we're at a military <laughs> hospital in Fort Lewis, Washington. Doctor comes over, she goes, I don't know if it matters, but I had to use the large ring. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know if it matters? Of course it matters. I'm gonna tell everybody in my unit you ran out of hula hoops. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. YouTube is gonna, is gonna take this live stream down. I cannot believe this. <laughs> you told that story. Maybe I'll ask them to take it down. No, I, I, oh my gosh. All right, on that note, let's read some comments. All right. Here we go. Matt Alderson says, Nick, thank you for your service and always cherish and respect women. Apparently he doesn't. Um, <laughs> Rosemary says, Tina, I can relate. I would have to lie down flat on the floor to cook dinner. Um, I, yeah. You know, we've actually got a couple of comments from people out west and also some people from Canada that said, hey, big fam. A lot of people who came in from the shorts and said, I got married young. 
um, now that uh, he's having his fifth kid. Yeah, um, that's awesome. That's that's actually great considering how low the birth rate is right now. Yeah, you're actually, doing your part, man. <laughs> this, this is I have a I have a really good friend named Mike Fuse um, who lives up in Northern Virginia. Oh, oh we love Mike and, Fuse. Awesome. Uh, Mike has, I'm pretty sure, five kids. He might be working on his sixth right now. <laughs> and super catholic yes <laughs> very catholic his his wife is very catholic as well yeah. um like one thing that i've noticed is that is it me or are conservatives the only ones that are having children i mean I, like don't tell anyone we have more the, pro have more. the problem I mean, we is, also, is we also don't kill ours so that, oh, queen bee from the top ropes this is why for the longest time we were worried about going over to live yeah um <laughs> No, but like, like, I mean, I know it wasn't me. They were worried about They're worried about me because I say the, all the things. Yeah. The problem is, is that like conservatives are the ones that are having kids, but the left is taking them from us In through the education, the education system, system yeah. and through the university system. Like, here's a here's a good example for you. My family on my mother's side, very conservative. I'm about to say something. I'm about to ha have a Tina moment. My family, very conservative. Yeah. My mother, very conservative. My stepfather, Dale, very conservative. I'm very conservative. Reagan is not. Yeah. Like, I remember she told me once, she's like, I think I'm a communist. And I'm like, no, you're not. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because communists are losers and you're not a loser. You're part of our family, which means you're not allowed to be a loser. Yeah. And, and communists also commit mass genocide and yeah. accidentally kill 10 million Ukrainians because they starve them to death. Or on purpose. You're, 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 you're not that type of person. But like, I, the reason I bring that up is because like, that is a really good example of somebody that had the right upbringing, right parents, right? Like, right, you know, yeah family all kind of more or less believe the same thing. I mean, I know that I get into like fights with my mother and stepfather about politics all the time, but we're both on the right, just different flavors of it. Yeah. And, and my sister didn't turn out that way. And I personally really blame the education system for it. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like that, and maybe this will, will get into the, the third segment of the podcast, right? Talking about like when the kids start getting older, Right. Yeah. Like, what does that marriage look like? Because the biggest concern that I have and that a lot of of people that listen to our show have is that like conservatives are raising a generation of kids, but then we hand them over to. Yeah. I asked this. What's the quote all the time? I'm going to do it again. What's the quote Bode, about Bode sending Bacca, your kids you to can't Caesar? send your kids to, to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans? Yeah. So yeah. so within the context of of the topic of being a good husband or wife or being a good father or mother. Yeah. When the kids get older. Yeah. Talking about setting aside all the gross stuff that you guys were talking about earlier. <laughs> now that they're older. Yeah. Like, and I say that jokingly, but yeah. like, like, you know, setting aside all that when, when they get older, how does that role evolve and how do you actually like, like execute the job of being that husband well, let, or let being me, let that me, wife? Let me do, let me do this. I want to talk a little bit because we've, we've told some funny stories about birth and things like that, but I want I want to okay. talk a little bit about babies and toddlers, because again, what, what defines you as a good husband as a newlywed or, or before kids, excuse me, doesn't go away, but it, it evolves and adapts. Um, so here's, here's what I'm going to say. I want to, I want to answer one question real quick here. Somebody says, how is the best way to contact you? Complex issues not getting properly addressed and no idea where to turn. Unsure if the comment section is most efficient place to explain. Here, here. I, I just dropped in your delegate, House of Delegates. Okay, uh, yeah, you, you can contact me there by email. You can also um, send us a direct message on like Instagram. Uh, there's a there's a few of us that have eyes on that, so we can make sure that we get it. So if you want to ask us a question offline, those would be two places that you could go do that. But I just wanted to address that. I also want to address this real quick from, uh, what is it? So, 
So mama so, so mama so. I had my fifth at home unexpectedly and my husband had to catch. Does Nick think he can do that as an experienced father? That it, sir. Well well played, sir. Kudos to you. Well played. Yeah, I will say, um, I, I can make a joke right now, but I, I won't. <laughs> but that's that's pretty awesome. Um all right, so so let's talk about the whole babies. Now, the, I talked a little bit before when your wife tells you she's pregnant. Again, be excited. And then after when she her, has the baby, she has, you, you need to t- understand that hormones go nuts. And do we get to tell the mall story? <sighs> yes, yeah, mall story, mall story. We're just, <laughs> we're just telling all the stories on mall story is hilarious. All right, so okay. I'm the oldest of nine kids, right? My youngest brother is younger than my oldest daughter. She has an uncle that's younger than she is, right? My my youngest brother is 20. I'm 43. So that gives you an idea. Um, so I was used to, you know, babies being around and, and stuff like that and, um, and recognize that they're far more resilient than we sometimes give them credit for. But Tina and Tina had been around kids too. It was, but she was not as much. Not and Nick as was much. the oldest of nine. So yeah. truth be told, he was way better at changing diapers than I was. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> way was better. I was old hat at that. So we, we have, we have a uh, Lily and, um, obviously, you know, again, everything I talked about before, kind of a difficult, um, labor and delivery and all of that, but she's doing good now. And we, we are getting out of the house for the, for the first time. And we're, we're just, we're just going down to the mall, uh, down there outside of Honolulu. So this was like two, three, four days after. I forget how many days after, but it was, oh, obviously it wasn't like right after, but, yeah. um, so we, we, we go out to the mall, just kind of get around and, and I've got, I've got Lily like in the car seat and I'm carrying it and we walk into the, we walk into the mall and I go to get on the escalator and Tina's like, you are not getting on the escalator with our daughter. And I'm looking at her like, what are you talking about? We, why can't she, she could fall? Like I go ahead. Okay. So ahead. you guys, for context, I worked at Belk in North Carolina and in, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And there was an escalator in there and I was down. I worked for Clinique at the time when, you know, we were first married and I watched as somebody tried to take their stroller down the escalator with the baby in it. Oh, gosh. And it went tumbling down the escalator end over end. The baby fell out like partway through and there was like blood and it was the baby was crying. The mom was panicking. So I had this image in my mind. So go ahead. All right. Ahead. So that makes, I didn't know she had this image in her right. mind yes, you, when she told well, you me. you didn't know until after I told you. So. Yeah. Like, like, we're not going up the escalator. I'm like, I'm holding the baby. We're going up the escalator. Right. So we go up the escalator and we're sitting, we're walking around a little bit. And then we sit down at, at like Arby's or something like that to, to have lunch. And Tina starts crying. And you need to understand, Tina doesn't cry. Like Tina doesn't just randomly start crying. But Except for the last episode, you guys. I'm still really sorry about <laughs> Of we, breaking up. So but Lily, I've gotten a little more tender over the years. But anyway. Lily's sitting there in the car seat. I'm sitting there eating my sandwich and and Tina's crying and I'm I probably should have stopped eating my sandwich. But <laughs> the point again, I'm, I'm <laughs> but I'm looking at her, I look at her, I'm like, baby, what's what's wrong? And she's like, you know, I'm just so afraid um something's gonna happen to her one day. And I said, you know, honey we are going to be there and we're going to do everything we can to keep her safe. But you know, and, and we're, we're going to make sure that, that she's okay. And you're going to do, you're going to do a great said. job. You're going to go plot twist. That's not what you said. Plot twist. That's <laughs> not what I said. What I said was, well, of course something's going to happen to her. <laughs> Stuff happens to everybody someday. And again, I'm, I'm thinking oldest and You're not going to be able to stop something happening to oldest, her someday. So again, I, I, this is, we talked about wins and losses 
This was an L for me. I probably should have said, honey, look, we're going to be good parents. And you, that's what I should have said. You are going to be a phenomenal mother. She is so lucky to have you. And, you know, honestly, I don't think anything would have fixed it at the time. I was hormonal. It was like four days after having her. I was trying to get out and walk around. I still felt like a completely broken human being. And I was exhausted. My hormones were crazy. And so I just had these irrational fears of just every crazy thing that could ever happen to her happening, you know, and and that like I would need to protect her from everything scary. And Honestly, like I used to love to fly, loved flying in planes. The minute I had a baby, I suddenly started being afraid to fly. Now I still fly. I push past it. It's fine. But like my biggest fear was what if this plane crashes and I die, my child does not die and no one helps my baby. And then it's just me taking them up escalators for their whole life. <laughs> like, I, I just, the idea that somebody else might not take good care of them and I might not be there to, to take care of them and to yeah. save them and rescue them. So again, as, as what does it mean to be a good husband when you have the, the babies and the toddlers? First of all, you know, husbands that say I won't change diapers, that's no, you're going to change diapers. Any any husband says, well, that's not my job. It may not be your primary responsibility, but if you're the sort of guy that would let your 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 child sit in filth until your wife gets back to change them, you're a punk, man. Somebody needs to hit you. I'll do it, like, if you need it, but, like, that's just garbage. Um, so learn learn how to do some of that stuff. Learn how to pick up, and, you know, again, especially, especially, <laughs> okay, here's another thing I did that I think was funny. might have been an L though was so obviously you know when your kids are little and breastfeeding and the whole deal there's not a whole lot you as a man can do when they're hungry and so like i'd be holding the baby or something like that and i loved holding my babies and and whatnot like i I was was, so tired you. but like the baby would start crying the baby would start crying and i would go mommy Milk. Mommy, i want milk most certainly now and i'm sitting here like I can't even rest. I'm so tired. So, but I would, I would sit up and rock the kid. Like I would, I would try to find times where I, I would, you know, give Tina some time to be able to sleep. Yeah, he um, was actually really, really, really amazing. I mean, if our, if our baby was crying, he didn't automatically hand me the baby. He really tried to work through it and go walk the baby around, go outside, do whatever. I mean, he really, really tried. It, it wasn't like like I've seen some guys where they're like, oh, baby's crying. Here you go. Yeah. I'm just immediately like they didn't even try. He was really good at soothing her, but there were once in a while where, you know, she just really Lily was uh she would not take a pacifier and she would not take a bottle of any sort, nothing synthetic whatsoever. She was very bougie like that. Super like. bougie. <laughs> and so there was really nothing he could do. He couldn't give her a bottle. He, she would be like and like yeah. You know, she didn't want it. She would act like she was drowning. She and, wanted the real thing. <laughs> Right. Um, right from the source. Jeez, you know, these poor guys. But. <laughs> I'm just zoned out at this point. This was the worst ep- of all the episodes. I've only missed like like two or three episodes in the entire series of this podcast since we've started in the current format. Yeah. Why couldn't it have been this, been this one? one. Yeah. Well, and I want to say this too. Like uh, we Dutch girls said, the postpartum hormone is insanely real. I feel this and understand Tina's thought process. Yeah. For husbands, uh, it is. It is absolutely real. There's going to be so many, because again, your super cool, rational wife 
is, is who now never saying, gets crazy is now saying things and doing things right like the whole hot, irrational the whole hot crazy matrix is all thrown off and you think you know you've already <laughs> And and the thing, um, and the reason why is because I mean there really is a hormone component to this. That but you just I also recognized it. Like I yeah you did. I knew I was kind of being crazy. I just couldn't seem to stop it. And I I think I even re- remember saying like I don't know why I'm being. I know I'm being irrational. Yeah. I know I'm being crazy. Please have patience with me because this is just weird. I don't know what's wrong with me. And just the mere fact that I was willing to recognize and admit that I was struggling with this and that I knew it seemed crazy. Yeah. Um, oh, ladies. but I just couldn't, but it helped him to have patience with me through the crazy. Like he's not going to sit there and pretend that I'm being rational. Cause I wasn't. And like anybody that wants somebody to pretend with them that like, Oh yeah, this is totally rational. That's, that's silliness. <laughs> um, but to be there and to be like, look, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Not you're being crazy. Calm down. No, yeah. it's the, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Explain how there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like talk about things that are going to help you get through this. Like yeah. talk her down from the ledge basically. But I, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. The fact that you would say, honey, I know I'm not being rational. I know I'm being crazy right now. It, it actually, it, it made it easier to be like, oh, okay. Like this is not something where this is just the new normal for the rest of our lives. It, it's, there's stuff going on and, and, you know, Hey, you know, be, understand that, right. Understand that and, and yeah. get through it. Um, the other thing I will say with like just toddlers and whatnot, and this is, this is also, um, I, I think for men, hear me out on this one. Um, there, there's, because this, this episode is more about husbands and wives. I'm going to talk a little bit about the father part right now. Um, you, you will be shocked at the importance of you as a father, not just taking, you know, certain responsibilities and turns with your kids when they're, you know, little and they're crying at night or they need a drink of water or whatever it is. They get to be a little bit older and toddlers. Um, as far as kind of like the pressure that relieves from your, your wife. Um, but, but how important it is for you to be able to make those connections with your kids very, very early on within their development. That's, that's, it's critical and you're going to think like, how can it be critical? The baby's not even going to remember this. It is. I, I don't I, say what you want. Study after study has demonstrated that the father being involved um, and, and, you know, just you know, being there and being, you know, gentle with their kids. And, and also, uh, you know, as they get to be toddlers, they get to do, I mean, they start doing just stupid stuff. Luke um, licked everything when he was little. <laughs> I mean, that kid, I'd put him in the shopping cart and he would like lick the handles of the shopping cart. I'm surprised he didn't come out. Oh, built his immunity. Yeah, that's what he was doing. <laughs> it was the, I, I got those funky little things that you put in the shopping cart so that he wouldn't lick the shopping cart. <laughs> I mean, that kid, I'm surprised he didn't like come out of babyhood with hep C or something. I mean, <laughs> I, I will say what's he funny, put everything the, in his mouth. The difference was because I had two little girls like Allie, Allie was, Allie was pretty easy as a, as a toddler. Of course, I'm saying this, I was gone for the first year of her life because I was in Iraq. But, um, but what's funny about the girl, I always say the difference between girls and boys, especially when it gets to be disciplined when they're little, is that with, with Lily or Allie, daddy could look at them and be like, I'm disappointed. And that was it, man. It done, you know, punishment complete. Um, Luke, on the other hand, having little boys is a little bit like having a puppy. 
And the commands are almost identical, right? Like, get that out of your mouth. Stop chewing on that. Don't pee there, right? Like, yeah. So, they're yeah. a little bit more. They're a little bit more stubborn. I, I hope. I wonder if Luke's going to watch this episode. Going <laughs> to watch this episode. But but I was. But again, as as a good husband, take over. Now here's the other thing, guys. I'm going to let you in on a little something else. This is going to be helpful for you. At that stage in your marriage, you could argue that there is nothing sexier to your wife than a man taking care of his kids and doing it well. Yeah, but <laughs> let's talk about that for a second because that is another thing about that phase of life where, you know, the the newlywed phase of romping around and having all kinds of fun consummating that marriage and all, that really, really slows down after having babies, because what happens is everybody needs something from you as a mom and everybody's touching you. Everybody's pulling on you, climbing on you, whatever. And the last thing you want is someone else climbing on you, you know? Um, <laughs> sorry, Christian. Anyway, but the, the point is, is that it is so hard for a woman to pull her brain out of mom mode and put it into wife mode. And I don't, I don't know how to make that not happen for you. It's hard. The whole process is hard. So all I can stress is patience. And that is, I mean, by, by the same, by the same token. And look, this is, this might, we, we might start getting, once we get into these stages, you start getting into some of the questions because now you're getting you know older in your marriage, you have other responsibilities where it's, you know, one of the things we said about this is that if you have a question that you, you would like to ask, you know, a husband or a wife, um, that you think might be uncomfortable, like you can you can ask that question here. We're we're happy to give the best response we possibly can. Um, the, the the intimate components of your marriage are are really important, and I and I do think it's it. There's a natural process where we start having kids, where yeah, moms are going into mom mode and nurturing mode and the whole deal, and they're having to put up with all this stuff, and the husband's like, wait a second, what? Hey, before you got here, you know, like, <laughs> so the the thing is, is that this is this requires. Again, how do you be a good husband? How do you be a good wife during this phase? Well, it's going to require both of you to do a little bit extra because before the kid was there, you could probably come home and, you know, whatever. And, and there wasn't a whole, you, there wasn't as much thought or time or energy put into getting to where you wanted to be on that one, right? Now you have kids and there is. There's coordination that's necessary that wasn't necessary before. Yeah. So for for the man, understand something. For the husband, understand something. Your wife is, and again, in our situation, I, I was the primary breadwinner. Tina stayed home with with the kids and managed the home. If, if I'm coming home with this mentality of, okay, well, now your conquering hero is home. Like, yes. um, now set that baby aside and yeah, tend to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go make another, shall we? No. Anyway, the, um, the the point is, is that like I had to learn that, okay, it's, you, you need to be able to create situations and create space to where you can let her. So if you come home and you're taking care of some of the chores and whatnot, not because you have to, it's your job. And don't you understand that? But because you love your wife, like this, this is a big problem that I see in a lot of the, a lot of the people that will talk about this online. They will complain. Well, doesn't he understand? I've been with the kids all day and I need this. And doesn't she understand? I've been working all day and I need this. It's like, or you could both just say, we should probably understand that both of us have different responsibilities now that affect us a little bit differently. And so there's going to need to be an adjustment. And instead of being angry about it, 
if you can show additional gratitude and, and acknowledgement of the additional work that's necessary now, so that again, if I was if I come home and I and I need a little bit of time to like kind of rest and unwind, but then I go in there and I'm like, hey babe, you know, I, I'll let me let me take the baby, I'll 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 feed her, like go go, you know, rest for a minute, or go lay down for a minute, one, or or go get a bath, right? Like I'm giving oh, yeah, her an opportunity. I love baths. I'm, I'm giving her, and again, it will be different for different wives, right? There might be different things that they do to kind of be able to like unwind and detach. If you give them that space, what you're doing is you're showing them love and gratitude. You're getting to spend a little bit of time with just you and your child. And she is now grateful for what you're doing because she recognizes you worked all day, right? But you're, you're also, I mean, there's going to be, there might be some pay it forward here, right? <laughs> like, it's the idea that you're, you're allowing her that because it's not that she doesn't care about that aspect of your marriage anymore. It's not that she's not attracted to you anymore. There's a different responsibility and it's a pretty incredible one. It is. So, so yeah. So word that. of advice in that, in that zone, if your wife has been working really, really hard all day with the babies and you've been working hard too, not, not discounting that. Yeah. But if you wait until she has fallen asleep and then you want to try to wake her up, God help you. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not going to be a sweet romantic thing. So just, just understand that it, as, a, as a, I guess what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to demonstrate efficiency. If, if you're coming home from work and you spend a little bit of time relieving some of the, the stress she had, because the other thing to keep in mind is that typically with work, uh, like when you go, when you're working outside the house, there's a time when it starts and there's a time w- when it ends. That's, that's not true of a mother managing a home, right? It, it doesn't really end. Um, so if you're coming home and you're acknowledging that and, and you're taking on some of that and, and you're using it as something to look forward to because you're going to be able to help spend some time with your child um, or, or do a chore that you know she doesn't like to do. And now she's feeling gratitude. Plus you're giving her a moment to detach from the kids and go from mom to wife zone right? Um, that's going to be beneficial for other things. And so don't look at it as, you know, a, a burden, look at it as this is a, this is a, a way to show gratitude and love that will make it easier for her to show gratitude and love in other ways you might appreciate. I mean, would you say that's fair? Yeah, that is fair. <clears throat> but even still, even if you are completely bending over backwards, sometimes a mom who has, you know, a toddler and a baby, it can be a little unreasonable in that area. And yeah. I'll just be honest. It was, that was a tough phase for me mentally. Um, just going without so much sleep. Yeah. You were just so exhausted all the time. Um, I mean, it's rewarding at the same time. I heard somebody once say something and it's so accurate with children. The days are long, but the years are short. My mother said something. She said literally the exact same thing to me. We were in the car driving. Some, this was like maybe six months ago. And and she said something very, very similar. Um, and it was, it, you know, like at the time, I didn't really think much of it. But then it was like maybe a week later, I started thinking about it because it's like, you know, I, I grew up with my parents, so I saw them every single day, but now I don't, even though they live five minutes away yeah. from here. So maybe that's my fault, right? But like the, the point is, is that like it kind of dawned on me and I was like, oh, I'm like a full grown adult, like like not even He's adult like, I'm legally. I'm a grown ass man yeah. now. I don't, I don't mean <laughs> I can't like, believe it. I don't mean like 18, you're now an adult, but yeah. you have no life skills yeah. or, or, you know, you have no knowledge of anything. No, no, I mean like, like 
full adult. Like I'm almost 30 and it, it just dawned on me. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I, it was a decade ago that I was about to turn 20. Yeah. And I was thinking, man, that's such a long, you know, decade away. And now I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm almost 30. The whole of yeah. my 20s is gone. So what kids, just happened? The kids will eventually move out. That brings me to yeah. one of the questions here. Someone, uh, let's see, Harris Morgan said, which comes first, your spouse or your children? And I say your spouse. And the reason why mm-hmm. is because, first of all, your spouse really did come first. You chose your spouse. You need to continue to put your spouse first because eventually the kids move out too and you come back to having your spouse. The other aspect of it is kids absolutely, they may say they're grossed out, but kids absolutely love it when their parents love each other. Yeah. Um, Luke used to get the this look on his face. If, if Nick came in and gave me a, a kiss and a hug hello, Luke would just look at us like, so happy that we love each other. And he would say, they love each other. <laughs> and they, he just loved that we loved yeah. each other. He would get this cute little smile on his face because he just, he loved it when he saw his daddy giving love to his mom um, or saying nice things to me or giving me a hug or whatever. Um, kids love that. Kids love to know that the parents are secure and that they love each other and that they are a constant. I think that your kids, if your kids know that their proper place is behind the marriage, because the marriage is basically an umbrella of safety for those kids. Yep. And if you if you don't keep that umbrella secure and there's all kinds of holes in it and you're starting to like make the kids more important and the whole deal, the thing is, is that um, those kids benefit from knowing that mom and dad are okay. And the they reverse, are always safe. The reverse is destructive. If you if yeah. you try to put the kids first in your marriage, neither you or the kids will get what they really need. I no, saw, no, no, I, I saw I the cutest, mean, I saw no, no, the no, cutest I thing mean. that it's kind of like this. A teacher had kids um, draw what they think of when they hear the word safe. Mm-hmm. And this kid drew... Um, Mom with her pillow and the blanket, dad with his pillow under the same blanket, and the little kid right between mom and dad. <laughs> with and they all had smiles on their face. And it was just the cutest thing. And I remember feeling like that was the safest place to be too. When I said the reverse is destructive, what I mean is is not placing the kids first. What I meant is that like when when the husband and, and wife like fight all the time. That's scary. Oh, especially for a around kid. the kids, it is traumatic for yeah. for children, and and it, it it like that is the beginning of you setting your your kids up for failure. Well, and this is the part where I want to go into the the teenagers portion because there's a big difference between duties and responsibilities. Because when when they're babies and they're toddlers, they're cute and they get into trouble and they get into mischief and whatnot. When they become teenagers, now all of a sudden they have the ability to talk back, right? And this this kind of this is actually a nice segue. Um, I, I will say that I, I have really thought our the teenage years with all of our kids. We've got a twenty year old, a seventeen year old, and a fifteen year old. Um, there, but by the <laughs> um, but by the grace of God, you know, go I. I mean, I, I we've had a great relationship with our with all of our teenage kids. Um, we haven't had you know major issues. I, I think a lot of that happens from um, you know trying to set up certain things when they're when they're toddlers, when they're babies, you're establishing, you're establishing love, trust, and respect. Um, because let's face it, one of the biggest problems that I see right now is teenagers don't respect their parents. And when I watch 
here's one thing I do not I do not understand, and when I see it, I just I get furious. When I watch parents siding with kids against the other parents. Yeah, this goes back to remember that thing I said when you're first married, not to go running to mom and dad and, and running down your spouse. Well, this then also in some places, in some families, happens where like the mom will rag all over the dad to the kids or the dad will rag on the kids to the mom. And I've also seen it where the mom will keep secrets from the dad with her kids yeah. and especially with her girls. And that is incredibly destructive. You cannot do that. I mean, you, you can't do this thing where it's like, oh, well, daddy just doesn't understand. It's fine. We won't tell dad. Yeah. No, 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 no. Because what that does is it, tells your daughter that dad's a buffoon mm -hmm. and he's a fool and you're making him a fool. Don't mock your husband to your kids like that. Well, and, and I, there's another thing for, for dads. There was one, there was one moment. And again, you know, it was a 13 year old thing and it was one of our kids was upset with Tina and um, she kind of, I was coming down the stairs to go downstairs. So I, I was hearing it, but I wasn't seeing it. And one of my kids Got a little bit snotty. Tina shut him down. Rounded the corner and made this little like, you know, kind of face. mouthing like, yeah, 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 like yeah. that. <laughs> and then and then ran right into me and saw me. And and I looked and I said, "You will never speak to my wife that way again." Do you understand me? Yes, Daddy. Okay. Because at that moment, he was making it clear, she's not just your mother, she's my wife, and I'm protective of my wife. And and it's the, and, and one of the reasons why that's important is because you're, as a father, my job is to make sure that my kids respect Tina for her own sake, uh, respect her as, and also respect her as my wife. Because I had somebody get mad at me once, like, oh, so they're only supposed to respect her because she's your wife. No, they're supposed to respect her for her own sake. They're supposed to respect her because she's their mother, but they will also respect her because she's my wife and it is my responsibility to see that she is respected. And part of the reason I'm doing that is not just to defend my wife in that moment. It's also to teach my children what they should expect when they get married and have kids, right? Even if you think, even if you think your kid has a point, like if I think my kid has a point every once in a while, and there's times where the kids have made a point toward me where Tina's like, oh, God, I got a point, <laughs> and, and, and vice versa. We will discuss that later. We will not sit there and, and you know, side with one of our kids over our spouse because our kids need to see that's not how this works. This is how the structure works. Um, so I, I will, but again, when, when they become teenagers, there, there's a couple of things here. Going back to toddlers just briefly, Jordan Peterson has this thing that he says that I think is important where it's like, let your kids do dangerous things carefully. And you can add age-appropriate dangerous things carefully. And when they get to be teenagers as well, um, they're, they're going to start getting to do more things. Um, they're going to start having more responsibilities. And it's really important that you and your wife are on the same sheet of music with respect to what you think it's okay for them to do and not okay to do. Now, here's one thing I want to tell <clears throat> husbands out there. One of the things that I've, I really learned over time, um, now the secular world calls it female intuition. The Christian world calls it discernment. Um, I have learned to trust Tina's discernment on things 
Because I'm, I'm a very facts and evidence and logic-based sort of guy. If you're going to say something, or if you're going to make an argument for something, I want to understand your reasoning. I want to understand your evidence to determine what. I learned uh, probably five or six years into marriage um, that when Tina said, I've got a bad feeling about this, my initial reaction was, okay, why? Explain why. And she, and she would. She would do her best to explain why. But sometimes she would say, like, Nick, I don't know. I've just got a bad feeling about it. Right, that didn't happen a lot, um, and initially I'd be kind of like, okay, well, let me know when you can articulate what's going on here because I didn't know how to process that. Well, I, I ended up learning that when Tina said she, nope, I don't like this, I'm not uncomfortable with this. It was usually wrong. about people. Yeah, it was usually there's something off with this person, yeah. and I don't know what it is. And so I learned as a husband very quickly that when my wife says I have a bad feeling about something, you better listen to it, trust it. Um, because it's there for a reason. I believe it, it, God has given it to him for a reason. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things I learned. And, and as your kids get a little bit older and, you know, you see this all the time now too, with people talking about sleepovers and what's appropriate for, you know, when's appropriate for dating ages and things like I that. I think we've passed the era of sleepovers. I don't think sleepovers are all that appropriate anymore unless yeah. the families know each other really, really well. And the reason why is because we live in an over-sexualized society now and boys, it used to be you could segregate the boys and girls and just have a girl's sleepover. And now, I mean, um, man, I, one of my daughters mentioned to me that there was a, a girl whose birthday party she went to where the girls were fighting over another girl because they all had decided they were bisexual. And Allie's like, can I just go home? Can you just come get me? And I'm like, yeah, I guess we're done with this now. Yeah. Like this is, we're, we're done because that that's no different than having her sleep over with a bunch of boys. You know, if, if the girls are now looking at each other in a sexual nature, the same way a boy would be looking at a girl in a sexual nature, then we're done with sleepovers. Yeah. That's it. And I'm sorry. I know it's sad because when I was a kid, we could have sleepovers and we didn't do all that weird stuff, but now they do. And I'm sorry, not, not, not yeah. happening anymore. But I, I would say the biggest thing that I learned with when your kids, again, when you kids, and it's not necessarily teenagers, but that's probably the, that's the most prevalent. It is when they're, they're starting to develop um, much more of their own personalities, their worldview and, and whatnot, and, and being a good husband and wife to each other during those years is, is very important because I, I think what sums all that up for me anyways is, again, if, if, you, are, if you are not first attending to your responsibilities as a husband, you probably won't be doing a good job as a father because you, you are laying so much emotional, spiritual, intellectual groundwork for your children on what constitutes a healthy relationship. And, and you can see it like one of the most heartbreaking things ever is when I did that one short on three things I learned raising daughters. Um, and we've done some other ones. That the, the thing that always kind of breaks my heart about that is going to the comments section and seeing the, the number of young women that will be, I wish I would have had this or I wish my dad would have done this or I wish, you know. Um, so so much of that is making sure that when you're, uh, when you're raising your son, the way you, and, and here's the other thing too I want to make clear on this. This doesn't mean that Tina and I never have disagreements or argue in front of our kids. We, we do because the other thing that we're modeling for them is what does a healthy disagreement between a husband and wife look like? How do they work it out? And they see it come to a resolution. They, they see it resolve. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, we don't like this whole idea. 
there's this idea that because we homeschool or because we also don't scream and yell at each other. We don't create like a horrible, toxic, like anxiety riddled environment. You know, if we're having an especially heated argument, we definitely separate ourselves away. Yeah. But, um, but just little disagreements here and there, and they can just see within a few seconds, it's all resolved. Yeah. It's, you know, there are some things where there are some things not worth fighting over. And I I think that's also an important point is there are some people that will nitpick every freaking little thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to be a nag. I don't want to be a nitpicky wife. And he also doesn't want to be nagged. He doesn't want me to be nitpicky. Well, the way to make me not nitpicky is to make sure he doesn't do the things that super duper bother me in that way. And then also I can chill out a little bit. Like, (laughs) come on, just cool it. Why, why, why be so just contrarian and like, Oh, I've got to get mad over every little thing. I've seen people do that and I just don't understand it. It like, just be chill. Brian Yoder asked a question. He goes, this is way off topic, but I, I don't think it is actually. He goes, but Nick, uh, you were in the military. Did you ever have a problem with eating too fast at home? Um, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so overall. There, you savored food. I, I, yeah, I, I, especially dinner. Dinner time, I like coming home and I like dinner to be kind of like a relaxed environment. Um, we One thing that I wish I would have been better about that I haven't been is kind of established meal times with everyone coming together. That's one thing I wish we would, you know, we would have done our lives kind of didn't allow for that, though. It's been hard with military politics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but again, it. it I, I just want to be honest with people about things that I wish we would have done better yeah. on, on that on that side, and that's one thing that I, I do wish. But um, I, w- I would say that, uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what he's talking about because, especially when you go through basic training. When I first went through basic training and got out, we we went to dinner together, and like I'm done in like two minutes, and everyone's like. Hey there, buddy. You gonna make it? Like, <laughs> I gotta be somewhere. <laughs> um, but but it is a thing. And in fact, there's this really interesting training that's been done because they had a lot of um, they had a lot of military vets coming home and having PTSD issues, and it was adversely affecting their home life. And and it was fascinating because when they put the focus on helping vets, and they were specific, this one was specifically with special operators. Um, it didn't work. The, sorry, my voice is starting to break up now because it didn't. It didn't work when they were trying to treat combat vets like they were um, broken toys, right? Like, oh, you you need you need encouragement, you need nurturing, and you know, it, it just it wasn't working. Um, men typically need a mission. We need a purpose. We need something that is noble that we can fight for. Um, what did start to work for them a lot more was that they would um, they would actually put almost kind of like those same things you see with like an EKG monitor, whether it's monitoring your heart rate, your breathing, stuff like that. And they take these guys into shoot houses when they were training and they would demonstrate how stress levels would throw off their shot group, right? Because that was always really important to us when we're going through and we're doing hostage rescue when we're doing stuff like that. Your shot groups are important and you're doing live fire exercises with your buddy right next to you. So it, there's a safety concern. And then of course you're preparing for when you're going to do this in combat. So they monitored these guys up, showed them how I was doing. And then what they, so what they did is they got them all to focus on how do I bring down my heart rate? How do I bring down my stress level? Because it's going to make me a better operator. And then they said, okay, and this is, here's some of the same tactics you do when you go home. The stress is different, but it's still stress. It still adversely affects your ability to operate, right? If it, if it adversely affects your ability to operate as a, as a warrior, 
then it's also going to adversely affect your ability to operate an even more important job, which is husband and father. And that had a far greater impact in the way that people dealt with stress. So I know, I know it's kind of a side, but, um, what were some of those tactics? Uh, a lot of it was like your breathing control. It was about refocusing your attention. A lot of it was just about understanding physiologically what happens to you with stress because so much of it just feels like I'm just pissed, right? Right. I'm just angry. I'm just mad. And, and again, the way, the way we solve a lot of problems within the military is with violence. That's, that's what we do. Um, and, in, and in special operations, violence of action, confidence, determination. Now, that doesn't mean that every guy comes home and uses violence against their spouse or their kid. That's, that, no, that doesn't happen no. uh, most. Like, that never happened with us. And that could be part of the disconnect. But it was more of, it was more of the idea that when you came home, though, when, when I needed somebody on my team to move or they needed me to move or to do something, it was like, you, over here, do this. Do, you, you take command. And if you're trying to come home and take command the same way you take command in the field or within your unit, yeah, that ain't going to work the same way. So it was all about understanding what's happening physiologically and how do you be the best operator for your family. Um, and so I know it's kind of an aside, but I always thought that was kind of an interesting way to, to, to look at it. So um, the next thing on the list was, was it post kids, post kids. Yeah, and we kids don't know what that's like yet. Um, our, our, our oldest is 20. Um, she's getting ready to, to, you know, move out. She's already looking at, um, you know, apartments and houses and things like that. Um, so we don't quite know. Our 17 year old wants to go to the military, which, yeah. But honestly, I feel like some of this is like, I know that there's going to be sort of a grieving process that happens as the nest becomes empty and the whole deal. But um, I think that I feel like the work we've done throughout our marriage of continuing to make sure that we're focused on each other and like each other yeah. and that we're growing together in some of the same areas. And we have, you know, we, we nurture the areas that are our kind of together areas, you know, the things that we enjoy together. I, I do feel like it's important to continue liking your spouse. So you better nurture that throughout those child rearing years, because once the nest empties and you're done with all the kids stuff, if they have become your entire focus and they are your whole world and you've put each other on the back burner, you're, you're not going to know what to do with each other. You're not going to know how to talk to each other. So I know that you guys haven't actually like gotten to this point yet, or you're on the Not verge yet. of, but, but we're like doing the work now to try to make sure we don't have that same yeah, issue yeah. later. A, a question that I have, that's not actually about the empty nest, but more about the, the birds that are leaving the nest is that like, how do you prevent? Cause I, I've just, I've seen this happen. I mean, so often now that I feel like that it's, it's as big of a social crisis as the dis in fact, it's it's synonymous with the disintegration of the family unit. And it's like, how, how do you prevent your children from being turned against you? Because I see this just everywhere. So, and it's it's spilled over into politics now. I, I, yeah. I brought this up earlier with, you know, the way that my sister turned out. And, I mean, she's still really young, so there's time that we could pull her back in. But, like, I, I, I just, I see this everywhere where it's, like, two conservative parents... And they'll have two or three kids and at least one of them, sometimes both of them, or, or sometimes two out of the three, sometimes all three. But, but usually it'll be like one of the kids 
just yeah. gets turned against them in terms of worldview, politics, all of that stuff. Like, yeah. like what well, all I can say have is you like, ever been worried about that? I I, I know. I feel like college <laughs> is is a huge culprit. Huge. Um, and not only that, but like the education system, period. And since we homeschooled and we didn't have cable for probably 15 years of the yeah. kids' upbringing, um, it, it's like... We still don't. We have streaming. But. We, we stream, but we're also really careful about what they stream, typically. Um, the thing is, is that I do have, like, I, I get what you're saying because, like, Allie wants to become a veterinarian. And she's probably going to try to go to UVA for that. No, Tech. Oh, sorry. Virginia Tech. I don't know why I said UVA. Um, so she wants to go to Virginia Tech. And honestly, I am so worried about that. Um, well, can, I, can I say and, and And I'm not, I'm more worried about the sort of the shell shock that it's going to happen for her to just be so immersed in, in, a, in things that like, Allie, Allie really knows her own mind and she is, she has really strong opinions about everything just like Nick and I do. And she can really defend why she thinks what she thinks. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about that. I'm not worried about her being turned against I, us I'm necessarily. I'm worried about the frustration she will experience. I'm, I'm nervous about the amount of frustration and stress of having to be immersed with just people that no matter what are like so against everything you're about. So to here's what I'll say, like our, our oldest daughter, it's funny, like our oldest daughter, she uh, obviously she's in cosmetology, she's in theater, she dyes her hair a lot. You know, people will be like, uh, it, I'm like, no, Ooh, like, is your daughter okay? It's like, yeah, it's she's like, very she's conservative. Very okay, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think part of that is, again, one of the things, one of the problems that I have with the government running education and the expectation that kids go to college no matter what they're going to do, go to college, got to get a degree, is that what, what we end up doing is, is we take our kids through their most formative years and we hand them off to somebody else. And we don't just hand them off to teachers and we don't just hand them off to administrators and we don't just have them. We also hand them off to a bunch of other kids, most of whom you don't know. You don't know what their home life's like. You don't know what their family's like. And then we call that socialization. What a load of crap. Yeah, that's, that's some form of socialization. But I've gotten to the point now when people will ask me about homeschooling, what about socialization? I'll be like, wait, your kids go to public school? Yeah. What about your socialization? Yeah. Because my kids never have to worry about walking in on the middle school bathroom with two kids having sex or doing drugs. So I, I don't know what sort of socialization skills you think are be created in that environment, yeah. but I would encourage you to be a little bit more skeptical than society tells you to be. The other thing that I've noticed is that one of the reasons why there's such a major detachment from kids and parents is because the kids' whole world becomes their friends and school. And, and especially now with social media, dating. And like again, the over-sexualization of, of kids at an age they're not ready to handle that sort of emotional responsibility and physical responsibility. Then, on top of all of that... <clears throat> I will watch parents think that the way that they are spending time with their kids and the way that they're demonstrating that, you know, their kids are important to them is they drive them to 14 different sporting events every week. So the, the, the priority once again is on what the kids want to yeah, do. The world revolves and their around activities, the kids. 
And so kids come to the natural conclusion that it is all about me. And if you're not doing all the things that I need, well then, you know, no, no. At a very earlier age, our kids grew up and did, did they watch kids shows? Yeah. But they also watch shows with us. And they, they would watch, you know, BBC adaptations of, you know, Pride and Prejudice or something like that. And, and it became interesting because when my daughter was like, when my oldest daughter was like 12 or 13, we, we'd have this little language that her and I understood that none of her friends did about like, oh gosh, you know, she's being such a Lydia right now or something like that. But it was, we, we had these cultural references that we both shared. And so there was never this complete departure where it's like, oh, mom and dad are just a drag. You know, it, it, we, we were a part of that. Um, by the same token, we talked to our kids about important issues. We talked to our kids about faith. We talked to our kids about worldviews and politics and all those things that matter. And we didn't let them get away with just regurgitating what we thought. One of, one of my favorite things to do is we'd be sitting around and my kid would say something that I knew they had heard from me say it, And I would look at them and be like, why do you think that? And I'd, I'd debate with them. Because I wanted to make sure they understood what they, what they were saying. I didn't want them to just say it because they thought it would gain my approval. Not to mention the fact that my kids are pretty comfortable talking with younger kids, kids the same age, and adults. Because their socialization has taken place along all of those paradigms. And oh, by the way, school is the only place in your life where you're all huddled in together with a bunch of people your exact same age. Yeah. Right? That doesn't yeah. happen again. And so the reason why I say, the reason why I put so much emphasis on the experience that we had with that is because it not only affected the way that we could raise our kids and that we could make sure that they had a good understanding through their most formative years. And it didn't mean that we excluded them from other experiences. Oh my gosh, between sporting events and church events and outings that we would have and theater and, and, theater, and theater and political events mm -hmm. and everything else, they got this wide exposure yeah. to different ideas and, and, and thought processes. But it was, it was within a, a realm where it's not that we isolated them, but we also took serious our responsibility to guide them. Right. There's a big difference between sheltering your kids and, and secluding your kids. You, you know, it, I, I feel like I, so many people either regardless of their of their political affiliation either overly shelter their kids which which creates a completely another set of problems because now you have not prepared them for the world at all right. um it, or they do no parenting and and let their kids become failures for a complete opposite set of reasons right. there are parents that will kind of pretend certain ideologies don't exist like they shelter their kids from the outside world so much that um they kind of pretend all of that stuff out there doesn't exist so then when the kid goes out it's like they're realizing a whole new world the way that we've done this and i'm and we're yet to see whether or not we've done a great job or not we'll see in a few years in adulthood whether they all stay i feel pretty good <laughs> about it but we'll see um we tend to talk about all of it yeah so we'll go there are people who believe this and you know here's why we don't believe the same thing but they push in this way and they use this tactic and they do this and we literally expose our kids to all of the stuff they're going to be exposed to, but we do it through our filter and we explain we explain the information um, 
from our worldview. So instead of instead of having it be something where they've been completely isolated and sheltered, and then we release them out into the wild, and now they're like learning all this stuff and their brains just exploding over it. And mom and dad never taught me this. And we never even talked about this. And now I'm learning all of this. My parents must be crazy or something. Why didn't they tell me any of this? And so I, I've, I've known some folks who like, they want to just pretend that the bad things aren't there. That's not the way to deal with it. You, you can't just pretend it's not there. You need to actually discuss it with your kids, help them understand what they're about to experience, help them understand how to deal with it and how to process it logically. If you can tell them, hey, so this person says X, Y, and Z, is that logical? And your kid yeah. can look back at you and go, well, actually, that's not logical because of this, this, and this. Well, you've taught your kids the laws of logic. Now they understand that this can't be true. Well, if, you, if you've never really challenged your kid in that way and you wait for their first challenges to be after they've left and now they're coming back to you being like, you didn't tell me about this. What, what about this? What about this? And you're just like, no, we believe this. Boom. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. They're going to reject that. What, what you've taught your kids when you do stuff like that is you haven't taught them how to think or even what to think. What you've taught them is an authority structure. And that authority structure is if they repeat what mom and dad like, they get rewarded. If they don't repeat what mom and dad like, they get punished. And then those kids go off to college and guess what? Different authority structure. They get rewarded for repeating certain things. They get punished for saying other things. I want to I take a, this one question by King uh, Banabo real quick. Where's the balance between sheltering and secluding? That is going to depend a lot with respect to both your kids and the environment that you're in. But the thing that I would say is that you're, you're looking at your kids from their emotional development, their intellectual development, their spiritual, spiritual development, their physical development, and different things are going to be appropriate, you know, based off of their age and where they are along those things, right? You, you might have some kids that are fairly mature at a younger age. And so there might be certain responsibilities that they can be uh, exposed to. Like when is it appropriate to let your kids stay home alone? that's going to depend on the kid, right? We, we have this idea that, okay, well, it's this age. Well, for legal reasons, we might have to set up certain ages in order to determine maturity and, and, and accountability and, and consent and all those other things. But part of it is, is understanding your kid and what they're mature for. Now, here's what I will say. When it comes to physical security um, and emotional security, I think it's very, very important that parents are very, very guarded with their kids um, for, for most of, like well, I mean, all the time, but you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the whole sleepovers thing. When, when is that appropriate? Well, again, you're, you're not just, let me, best example I can give is dating rules. The dating rules in our house was you can't date until you're 18. Most people look at that now and think that is absurd. That's ridiculous. And don't you know, your kids are really doing it behind your back. No, they're not. No, they're not. And I, I'm not saying this as a naive parent, I'm saying this is someone that has established really good relationships with my kids and there's an element of trust. Now, does that mean they don't talk to boys or girls or have people that they might be a little bit more affectionate to? Yes. Or it doesn't mean that at all. No. What it means yeah. is- They, is they can definitely prefer a person and oh, yeah. actually have a con, you know, like a mental connection to somebody, but we're not going to do the boyfriend-girlfriend thing. Yeah, the whole boyfriend-girlfriend thing doesn't happen. Now, did we just implement that rule? Is it, No, we explained why it was important for them and why important for the person well, they cared about. So the, the overall answer to this is you really need to understand your own kids. Again, spiritual, emotional, physical, intellectual, maturity level. And, and how you do that in the environment that you're in. But there's certain things you need to you know, protect them from relentlessly. 
And there's other things that you, again, carefully expose them to. The whole doing dangerous things carefully, the, yeah. the Jordan Peterson thing, giving your kids certain responsibilities, um, establishing honesty. This is one of the biggest ones that I can tell you. If you establish honesty relentlessly, like that lying will not be tolerated early on in their life, that will pay you such huge dividends later on in life when you are able to trust your kids with greater responsibility and greater freedom because you know they're not going to lie to you about it. Um, I, I will tell you growing up, it's not that I never got into trouble. I did, right? Latchkey kid. But my parents established with me very young, lying would never be tolerated. I never lied to my parents, never. Which caused me to self-regulate my own behavior and the risks I was willing to take because I knew if they asked me, Nick, did you do this? My answer would have to be, yes, I did. And then I'd have to face the music. But they established that not only is like an arbitrary rule that they demanded, there was freedoms and there was responsibilities associated with it, but there was also honor associated with it. An honorable person tells the truth. That got hammered into me so young and stuck with me. So all the stuff that you will hear with people telling you, oh, that's an unreasonable expectation for you. Or here's the one I love. Oh, was that the rule for you were growing up? I don't care if it was the rule for me growing up. My job is to raise my kids to be everything that God has designed them to be. And I will decide, along with Tina, we will decide what, what those boundaries look like for their benefit. Can I and, say one and, thing? And, to, and when I say when you okay. do that, here's, here's the fascinating thing about that. When you establish this early on, we don't get a, a, we just don't get a bunch of pushback from our kids. We don't. No. So part of it is because I, I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that for, with, with, our, with our kids. But part of it too is Tina and I have tried very, very hard to never be arbitrary in our rules, right? Arbitrary rules invite rebellion. Why? Because I said so? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Arbitrary yeah. rules invite rebellion. Can, can I say something to the um, whole, oh, was that the rule for you growing up? And then you said, I don't care. It's, it's, I, I would say it's even more powerful than I don't care. It's more that, no, in some cases, because those were not the rules for me growing up. I, like, like, think about that thought process for a second. Mm -hmm. I want this to be X to be the rules, you know, for my kids raising them. And then somebody says, oh, well, is that the rule for you growing up? Think about that thought process. So what they're basically saying is that anything that didn't apply to you, you would be unjustified to apply to your kids. Oh, so if you had terrible parents, yeah, they didn't, they did not raise you properly and you grew up and you overcame that and you realized these shortcomings, you're not supposed to correct those for your children. That's how you just have society disintegrate with each generation being worse than the previous yeah. one. Yeah. It's, it's you're supposed to rise above your parents as, as good or bad as they were. You should always try to be better than your parents when you become a parent to then set your kids up to be hopefully a better parent than you were. Exactly. And yeah. And, and, these people have it completely the opposite way around. Well, people will do it financially. They'll be like, oh, we were poor growing up, so I want my kids to have everything. And so then they will just lavish them with everything. But the thing is, is they don't do the same thing with the emotional side and the rule side and things like that, you know? It's like, you know, I'd, I we wanted for a lot. We were poor or whatever, so I don't want my kids to be poor. Well, you should also look at, hey, 
the rules were kind of weird in this area in my life or, or the communication was kind of off with my, my family. I don't want that for my kids. I want my kids to have abundance in this area. You yeah. know, I, I think that there's a huge difference between providing for your children and your family yeah. and spoiling oh, yeah. them. A, providing is, is, is not just a good thing. It's, it's a necessity. It's in the job description, yeah. Yeah. but there's a huge difference between providing for your children. And guess what? If you make a lot of money and, and you, especially if you grew up poor and you, you want to make sure that your family doesn't go through what you went through, I, I get wanting to, to lavish to some degree, but the, you have to be careful with the way that you do that because there's a fine line between that and spoiling. One thing that I should say, having relatively in the past decade come out of childhood and entered adulthood is do not give children especially teenagers money that <laughs> that, that that you know seriously you will be setting them up for failure i have a good example my my mother inherited not a ton of money she inherited like i don't know like, don't like, like a, 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 a couple shares of like coca-cola in the yeah, 80s yeah. when she was like a teenager yeah a family member of her passed away and she inherited the equivalent of what would today be like $10,000. A lot of money for like an 18-year-old or yeah. something like that. She cashed out all of it and bought a bunch of clothes <laughs> and, 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 and jewelry and stuff like that. And I remember when she told me the story and I'm like, you do realize if you had just held on to those shares <laughs> and like reinvested it, it would be like, like you could buy a house with that money yeah. today. And, and I'm, I'm using that as an example because like teenagers... And, and young 20-something-year-olds, a lot of them, and Hamilton, I know this because people in our age group, like, they're just terrible with managing money because they, they're they new to this stuff. You could set your kids up for complete disaster if you hand them over money. It's one thing to be like, hey, we're all going to go on a family vacation because I have the money to do it and we want to yeah. spend time as a family. It's another thing to say, here's 500 bucks, go have fun. Like, yeah. like th that yeah. is... Well, we, we also, I mean, one of the things we did with our kids, and again, I know this is more of a husband wife episode, not a kid's episode, but one of the things we did too is like we told our kids very early on with things like rooms or phones or college or whatnot, it was always you, I, <laughs> Tina and I have a room. We let you use it. Yeah. Right. So you're, and the reason for that was not because we didn't think our kids should be able to have privacy. We did. Like one of the things that was important to us is we wanted all of our kids to be able to have their own room. Yeah. Um, but, but that only goes so far. I don't understand these parents that are like, oh, well, we wouldn't check their phone because we have to respect their privacy. Oh, no. Excuse oh, not, me? Not no, but hell uh -uh. no. Hell yeah. No, well, no and, we and, check phones. And the, the issue, <laughs> the issue too is, um, you know, again, part of what's being created here is this expectation. So it, it's, it's not that, you know, we don't want our kids to have privacy. They do have privacy. But th this, when I, when I watch some kid on a, on a TV show being like, I can't believe you went into, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I'll, we'll look over at our kids and be like, what would happen if you said that? Like, oh, we'd be destroyed. <laughs> All right. But what, what, what it is, is they don't resent that. They look at it as, you know, hey, look, it's a rule and it's about proper expectation. Mom and dad pay for the house. Mom and dad pay for the phone. Mom and dad. And, and the other thing we told them is we do not owe you a college education. Now, does that mean we would not help? Of course we would help. Yeah. But we want them to have the mindset that this is their responsibility to achieve it. And, and again, that's, that's worked out well for us. I got, um, okay, let me jump in real quick. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've really admired about how y'all have raised your kids, you know, cause I've been working with Luke here on video editing here yeah. recently, and that's been fantastic. Um, but playing off of Christian's point about finances and people our age, millennials and G Gen Z, not having a lot of, uh, discipline with money. 
I think we all need to understand that you go through 12 years of school, go to college with the expectation that you will then have the skill set to then find a good job and make enough money. And you learn different after graduating college. And y'all have been very proactive to find ways for your kids to build skill sets that can be profitable after those college years or whatever it might be. And I think that that is going to benefit them significantly. Um, But going back just real quick to the not being able to date until 18 conversation, I think that y'all have had a lot of success and not a lot of pushback with your kids on that because all of them are very secure and confident in themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think when parents set those rules for 16 or 18 and then they get a lot of flack for it from their kids is because those kids are looking for validation in another area. And so the question, you know, validation from a, a significant other at that age. So my question is, how can I be proactive when I have kids and how can people that are currently watching be proactive in ensuring that their kids are secure enough that they don't feel like they have to have the validation of the opposite sex at that age and not get any pushback? Part of it, I think, is socially what they're exposed to. Like, if you go, I'm sorry, but if you're, if your kid's attending public school, there's a high degree of probability that they're going to feel a great deal of social pressure to engage in some sort of romantic entanglement. Absolutely. I, I mean, if, you know, and again, it's not like our kid, our kids have phones, they have smartphones, they have, you know. But our kids also didn't get those until no. their mid teens. Yeah. So. so part of it is about, part of it is about understanding that, again, this is the whole thing, well, all their friends have it. I don't care. I'm not resp- I mean, this this always sounds like like common dad stuff, right? Like, well, those aren't my kids. Well, you know, again, it, it's one of these things where there's reasons for this. It's not because it's not because I want to deprive my kids of something that all the other kids have. It's because I want my kids to enjoy and develop certain things at the appropriate ages so they can fully appreciate that before moving on to something that they are not emotionally or intellectually capable of understanding, applying, or even enjoying, right? It ends up being manipulated. It ends up being perverse. I also like to point out to the kids, like when we, when we would discuss that and why we have this rule, um, we had to explain that, look, okay, everybody is starting off emotionally. They're learning how to deal with their emotions. They're learning how to deal with, with how they feel about things. And, it's not a it's not a great time to start entangling yourself with other people because people get hurt no matter what even if it's an amicable situation and you break up it still hurts to feel like you're not the person that person prefers anymore even if you weren't in love it's like i no longer preferred someone else is preferred that hurts that hurts and kids always go through it like in middle like elementary school uh, elementary school and middle school and you got dumped and now you're with somebody else and this person who got dumped every two to three weeks <laughs> is damaged it it damages people it they're you're having them just be saturated in rejection and it's it's all puppy dogs and lollipops and butterflies all up until the moment that person dumps you and it's just it is it's a horrible feeling no matter what like to not be preferred and not only that there is a great deal of pressure put on these kids to say yes to somebody who asks them out like ask them to be their boyfriend or girlfriend they feel pressured to to because oh well I do like them oh well I do want you know I do want to spend time with them so I guess I have to be their girlfriend no you don't no you don't you do not need somebody else to have ownership over you and you don't need to have ownership over anybody else. And I, I kind of verb, 
verbalize it that way with my girls is you don't need to give anybody ownership over you. You can like somebody, you can prefer somebody, you can talk to them all you want. You do not need to give them ownership over you just because you like them. You don't have to do that. And more to, more often than not, our daughters were really glad that they had that out. Like, I, yeah. good, okay, I can't date, so sorry. Well, sorry, can, I have to say no, I can't date. I'll say, I'll say another thing. Again, like our, our daughters go to dances, right? Yeah. They go, it's like, again, it's We not, haven't had the problem so much with Luke. Like Luke hasn't been like running around trying to find girlfriends. So <laughs> he's, he's like really into all of his technical stuff that he loves to do. So, well, the, the other thing that, that I would say here is one, one of the things that we've kind of stressed to all of our kids, and we've talked about this before. And, and again, I want to get, we're, we're going to close this out with husband, wife stuff. This, yeah. We're going into parent stuff here. But one of the things that we told all of our kids too on the emotional side is at one, I, I hope that all of our kids, if if they were to ask you, do your parents have a, a loving and stable relationship, they would all say yes. So they, they've had something modeled for them that is is valuable, that they want to have one day. And so when we tell them how to have it, we have we have bona fides with them. We have credibility with our kids when we tell them if you want certain things, these are the things that are required. Um and so that really helps when they're told by other people, experts, friends, whatever. Oh, no, no, you can do this or you can do that. And, well, no, I want what my mom and dad have. And if I want that, I'm going to trust them because I've seen them do it. I don't know anything about you. The other thing too, and, and this is, I think this is important. What we're talking about here in a lot of ways is delayed gratification. And one of the most important one of the most important things that you can ever look at for future success is people that are willing to actually engage in delayed gratification for the appropriate time or to put in the right work or whatnot in order to get what they really want, not just what might be immediate. And, and one of the things we've told all of our kids uh, when it came with respect to dating is you're not just protecting your heart, you're protecting the heart of someone that you claim to care about. And so now there's a sense of responsibility, right? It's not all about them. It is also about the other person. And then the other thing that we tell them is one day, one day you are going to meet that person. You're going to meet that person that God has for you. And, and you're going to have this opportunity for an incredible relationship. How much do you want to have to explain to them? How much do you want to have to explain before or during your marriage? How much do you want to have to do? And, it, it, it puts them as the perspective of looking forward to the future of when that day comes and, and understanding that there, there may be people before that person that they meet or that they like or that they go to a dance with or they go to the movie, whatever. But they, they guard the physical, they guard the emotional out of respect, not only for them, not only for that other person, but in the person of the future. And so I, I think that's really important that you're, you're not saying you can't have this. You're saying if you want the best, that's going to require more than just frivolousness. You got to invest. You got to invest. Um, all right. I want to, I want to kind of, I want to wrap up one final thing here. Cause we've talked about what does it take to be a good husband and wife as newlyweds. When you start to have babies and toddlers, when you have teenagers, when you have post kids, I want to talk about a few things that are universals. I don't care where you are at within your marriage that I think um, are really important. And it goes back to what I said before when we were talking about kids, right? There's the emotional, the intellectual, uh, the spiritual and the physical. The emotional, I don't care where you're at within your marriage, um, being, being sensitive or aware of the emotional well-being of your spouse has a lot to do with the time that you spend with them, with the words that you use. Um, you want them to feel safe and secure with you, 
right? Now, you also want excitement. You want romance. You want these other things. I will say as, as, a, as a husband, if you want to be able to experience the, the best with the romance and the excitement and whatnot, if she feels secure with you, you're going to be able to you're going to be able to achieve you're going to be able to unlock a level of excitement and passion and all those other things when she feels secure with you. Um, so that emotional component is very important. Women and and Tina, feel free to chime in here. Women for for men, um, you being proud of us um, is is critical. Like loyalty and and being proud of us for our emotional well being. If we know you're proud of us, if, if we know you appreciate us, um, and, and we know that you are loyal to us, it, it, is, it is amazing the, um, the, the emotional response that you will get from a husband when they feel those things from you. Because a lot of times what men always, or what women complain about men is you're emotionally unavailable. That's because in a lot of areas of our life, we have to be. We have to be strong. We have to be tough. We have to be able to deal with dangerous situations. We have to be a deal with dirty situations. We have to deal with this. And if you're breaking down every time you're confronted with that, you are not an emotionally stable man. And so it can be hard to experience, to, to be hard to allow for a certain degree of vulnerability. And Tina worded it beautifully once. She goes, it, it's not that the vulnerability is important is what is it is. It's, it's the softness. It's the sensitivity Tender. toward us. Yeah. The tenderness toward us that nobody else gets and actually respecting that it is unique to you. You get the tenderness. The kids get the tenderness. The rest of the world doesn't get that same level of tenderness. Now there may be same jobs or responsibilities where it would be appropriate, but that, that's, that's really important. So that's that first component, that emotional thing for, for, for husbands. Um, I, I would say that you, you need to understand that your wife needs to be secure in your love and respect for her, um, no matter what. And you're not going to be able to do that if you're, um, if you're allowing for emotional ties with, with other women. Um, you're not going to be able to do that if you are cutting down her. Like If you want her to change or to do something, but you are destroying her self-esteem in order to achieve it, or her security and your love for her in order to achieve it, you're going to get bad results, man. Because there's always going to be some other guy that would be more than happy to be able to lift her up in those areas that she is failing to get from you. And yes, a, a good woman may decide that I, I'm never going to walk down that path. But how dare you as a husband put it out there as a potential stumbling block? Don't do it. Um, the intellectual. You cannot have a meaningful relationship with somebody without an intellectual component. Right? If, if, you're, if your attraction to your wife is... Uh, or, or the girl that you're thinking about marrying is purely emotional or physical without a strong intellectual component, there will be something missing from that that a lot of men get tempted. One of the interesting things when they look at why men cheat, a lot of times the reason men cheat because they'll say, why did they cheat with somebody that wasn't as pretty, wasn't as young, wasn't as, why did they do that? It's usually damage to the emotional. The man doesn't feel appreciated, respected, or honored. Or... The man doesn't have any sort of intellectual stimulus with their wife. So the important thing is for, for a husband, that intellectual stimulus is important. You need to foster that and have those communications and, and respect areas where your wife um, you know, has abilities and experiences and, and can contribute. 
to conversations and understand where you're weak and she's strong and don't look at that as being something that's intimidating. Look at something where that, that's an op- opportunity for both of you to grow intellectually in your relationship. Um, there, there, there are wonderful things where Tina is able to, you know, share things and insights and perspectives that are, are unique to her that I would never be exposed to if we didn't have those, if we didn't sit there and try to figure things out together. And a lot of times women desperately want that when they want to sit there and talk with you about something and you're just like, well, how do I fix this? What's the point? Learn to appreciate the intellectual journey. I did kind of a funny video on this, but it's true. Sometimes when your wife just wants you to listen or not just listen, but actually kind of engage without trying to solve her problem, but rather understand why she's thinking of something a certain way. It's because women tend to think about problems and relationships and issues differently from men. You can be frustrated by that, or you can appreciate what you can learn from that. And by taking the time to engage in that intellectual dialogue, not only will you learn something and have insight for how long have men complain, been complaining about wanting to know what women think? Well, when she's willing to sit there and go through and explain why she's thinking a certain way and how she's processing it, dude, this is an opportunity for insight. Take it. Yeah, sometimes it's going to drive you nuts, but, <laughs> but take it. Um, is there anything you wanted to add on the intellectual side from the... No, man, I just feel like that was pretty right on. All right, and so we talked about spiritual. Um, this is part where some people watching may disagree. Um, this Don't is- be the type of husband where the wife feels like she's got to drag you into uh, spiritual wholeness. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you got to lead. You gotta, you've got to love Jesus more than you love your spouse. So we talked about your spouse coming first over the kids. Well, God's got to come first over your spouse. You cannot love your spouse. And I know that we're probably talking to some people that, that um, maybe they don't subscribe to the same worldview we do, but in our worldview, um, gosh, if you don't know and love Jesus first, you're not going to know how to love your spouse. Not, not well. Yeah. And for, and for a man to do that, you have to spiritually lead. And what spiritual leading means is understanding, like when we talk about the the church, we say the, the body of Christ, and it's like different roles and responsibilities within that. Um, I, I think that when, when a husband takes responsibility for spiritual leadership in the family, it, it provides, again, that additional level of, of security, that emotional security, and everything else that is, is so critical. But it's also critical to the intellectual development as well. Because when, when we're talking about spiritual head of the household and we're talking about spiritual leadership— between husband and wife and the family and what that actually means, that provides the basis for an intellectual worldview, an emotional worldview, uh, the physical worldview. Like all the other things are rooted in that spiritual component because it by necessity, it by necessity, epistemologically, and the whole study of why do you know what you know provides a logical framework for everything else when you're asking questions or answering questions on the moral, the physical um, the logical, the scientific. So it's important to lead in that area the way that you're, you're designed and meant to lead. Um, and, and this also goes in, I think, for, for women. Um, you know, man, if, if you're leading your house spiritually, you, you also need to understand that your wife has certain gifts that you don't. The whole reason why the relationship works is because ultimately 
And the, and the reason why in Scripture it says the two became one is because there, there's a oneness there in that relationship between the two of you, where it's husband, wife, God, right? Where there are things that she brings to the table that you can't. There's things that you bring to the table that she can't. And it's not competitive. It's collaborative. It's cooperative. And when you look at it that way, your ability to achieve things together vastly supersedes your ability to achieve things individually. And then finally, the, the physical. We'll go ahead and make Christian feel weird again. Um, we, we talked about this for like practical things when you're, when you're young and you're married and everything's fit and you don't even got to go to the gym and you look great. That's wonderful and enjoy that time, but do not neglect it throughout, throughout your marriage. Do not neglect it throughout your marriage. I will see, you know, you see husbands and wives that just completely, and I'm not talking about putting on some weight or things changing with childbirth. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about husbands or wives that have just completely written off the physical is an important part of their relationship. I'm sorry, I've never seen that work for anybody. I've never seen that work well for anybody. Physical attraction was probably the first thing. Just by necessity, we see something. I like how that looks, right? The bottom line is when Tina agreed to be my wife, that means it was to the exclusion of every other man on the planet. I need to make sure that I'm working physically to be someone she's still excited to be with physically. And if I'm doing the emotional things right and the spiritually things right and the intellectual things right, that is, that is well over half the battle. Well over half the battle. But the physical is important. Don't, ne- don't neglect that because she can't go anywhere else. <laughs> don't neglect that. And, and for wives, I would say the same thing. Um, I think there can be a tendency for both husband and wives as, as things go on is to, as to assume, and I think this might be a little bit easier for wives than it is for husbands, to assume that, well, that's just not something we do anymore, but we do these other things. Well, and it makes sense too, because for a woman, you know, the, the beginning of your life, you're trying to at- attract your partner, whether you, whether you believe it or not, yeah. you're trying to attract your partner and you can kind of look around and you can see that like, this is a game everybody's playing yeah. though. All these girls dressed with their, you know, dresses up around their neck yeah. um, are definitely trying to at- attract people. Yeah. They, they have something on display in order to sell some goods. Yeah. And um, you get, you do get to a point where that's not the goal anymore. You're not trying to sexually attract the way you were when you were in your prime and, and, you know, wanting to, to attract a husband or whatever. And it is a little bit hard for a woman to look at that and go, well, that's just not where I'm at anymore. So I'm going to go shop in the, you know, section of the, whatever, whatever's most comfortable section and, and just do my life. And, um, yeah, there, there has to be a point where you still do, you know, put the effort in, get dressed up, make, make yourself feel pretty. Um, you know, things aren't always going to stay, uh, as perfectly shaped and perfectly, (laughs) you know, elevated as they were when you were first (laughs) together. Um, that, it's not that you need to, you know, go and have a bunch of surgeries to keep all that stuff where it used to be. The point is, is that you, you take what you have and you, you're still presenting yourself. Well, and I think, I think the other thing too, that people also appreciate husbands and wives, people appreciate the effort 
right? When, when they're, they're making an effort to, you know, be in shape, to be attractive again, you're everyone, you, you shouldn't be worried about being attractive for everybody else, right? You should be being attractive for your spouse. But if the message you're sending to your spouse is before I had you, it was important for me to be attractive because it might be you. It might've been somebody else. But now that I have you, it's not important. That is a bait and switch. That is a bait and switch. That's true. And a husband will look at that as, wait a second. I, I was, in order to get me, this was necessary. But in order to keep me, I'm, I'm not worth it anymore. And I think sometimes people are like, well, that's shallow. Well, and everybody looks at it like, well, I shouldn't have to do that in order to keep you. you, you that, you're oh, kept already. That's an excellent point. Let me, let me reiterate this. this. Please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. You should not have to stay in shape and try to be attractive so your spouse will love you. But you should do it because you love them. All right? That's a very, very different mindset. Tina has every right to be absolutely confident of my love and loyalty no matter what happens. I have every right to, to be confident in Tina's love and loyalty no matter what happens. But I'm not going to take advantage of that. right? I, I want it. My gratitude for that commitment should be to constantly work on all those areas, the emotional, the spiritual, the intellectual, and the physical so that she never has to have a day where, you know, she doesn't know that I'm committed to being everything that she deserves in a husband. And so that that's, I think that's, I, I just wanted to kind of go through those, those four things to kind of sum it up because while, while things will change and priorities and it's important for people to understand how duties and responsibilities and ways that you can demonstrate love change over through marriage, those four categories and having those strong fundamentals will stay the same and will equip you to be able to adapt as necessary during those different phases of life and marriage. So my screen's gone out now, so I don't, I can't see if and there's any every, other questions. Everybody's telling you, you need to take a drink of water and take care of your voice. <laughs> and I think, I think we do need to go ahead and wrap up. Yeah. That was all I had left. I'm, I'm going out. So babe, do you got any final thoughts? I do not have any final thoughts. I, I just, I just feel like you, you, and that man is how yeah. you leave a woman speechless. <laughs> well, now I, I feel like Nick really did wrap up everything um, really well. We discuss all of this stuff all the time, so whatever I would say would sound very similar to what he's saying. So, well, I am appreciative to have all of this knowledge in my head now and experience, and that y'all have taken the opportunity to share it because um, oftentimes it's not an easy thing. So I'm appreciative, and I think uh, all of our listeners are as well, especially the folks that are Christian and I's age that are not married yet. They're looking to be. Well, thank you all for coming on. Thank you very much for your questions. Please, please, please feel free to always ask us questions during this. I think it actually makes the entire experience a lot more rich when you do so. So thank you very much. Next week, we're actually, we're actually on Thursday. I mean, we're, um, we're looking uh, for some new topics. If you have some ideas, let us know. Uh, but we do have some things we've discussed along uh, some, a little bit lower, more on the uh, political philosophical realm yeah. coming up the next couple episodes. But once again, thank you very much for joining us. And we will see you next episode.
Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.